the blast from our past network. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Bachelor Party, starring Tom Hanks, Tawny Katane, and Adrian Zemed. Oh, baby, we're having a party here on Podcasting After Dark. But I can assure you there will be no donkeys, no cocaine, no hand mixers. Fucking Rudy. No fucking Rudy. And no Rudy. Oh, thank God. (laughs) No annoying dude to bring you into the... Well, we'll get into that in just a minute. But hey, what's up, everybody? It's Podcasting After Dark. It's me. Sweet Sexy Z, Zach Schaefer, if you're counting at home. And joining me as always is my beautiful, bodacious co-host, Sweet Sleazy C, Corey Stevenson. Corey, what is going on, brother? Oh, man, it feels good to be back in the the chair again. We did uh, record an episode of TV Obscura uh, last week, but it's good to be recording a proper review again and right at the top let's give uh, Aaron a huge thank you this is a Patreon picked movie uh, Aaron was the one that picked this she also picked Hard Ticket to Hawaii so two back to back good ones uh, real quick go check out her podcast Manic Movie Monday uh, it's it's a great show Zach's been on there I will be on there at some point uh, but Aaron knows her stuff, and uh, she is a cult movie phenom. So go check out Manic Movie Monday. Yeah, she knows her movies really well. She knows a lot of details about stuff. She knows her adult movies as well. Yeah. Uh, so for all you adult fans out there, she she's a she's a dictionary when it comes to that stuff. It's impressive, very impressive. And Aaron, yeah, you're right. Aaron picked Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Uh, as her first Patreon exclusive pick, not exclusive, but Patreon member pick. And now she picks Bachelor Party. And um, dare I say, those these two films have something in common, do they not? A lot of nudity and laughs. There you go. <laughs> Aaron so, does have a theme going on here. Aaron does have a theme. She messaged us off, offline, you know, trying to decide which one to pick. And, and for all of you at home that are wondering... Robert Ortiz, who's another Patreon member, he has a pick coming up soon, and we'll announce that as we get closer to it. But, uh, yeah, Aaron picked Bachelor Party. It is, at first I was like, I don't know if this is a pad movie. But then five minutes into it, I said, no, this is a pad movie. (laughs) Oh, absolutely, this is a pad movie. (laughs) Yeah, you know, my, my quick experience with this film is I've seen it in drips and drabs, if I can use that expression bastardly. Uh, when I was a kid, it would, it would be on late night Cinemax and HBO and I would catch it here and there. I'd watch segments of it. So probably watched the entire movie from beginning to end, but never watched it sitting down from beginning to end. You know, I just watched it in clips from beginning, from beginning to end. How about you, Corey? Um, sort of similar. I would watch this and uh, Moving Violations uh, a lot as a kid. Maybe just maybe just one summer that that uh, my dad had cable or something. I don't know. But I remember 
these two movies sort of being the, the like, I watched it a lot in a short amount of time, and then I haven't seen either in, like, 35 years, you know? So I didn't even remember barely any of this movie. Uh, but, Zach, you did just rewatch uh, Moving Violations relatively recently, right? Did you cover that on $2 Late Fee? Did not cover that on $2 Late Fee, but I had talked with uh, my co-host Dustin quite a bit about it, and I think we may actually cover that movie somewhat soon um, because I do really enjoy that movie. It holds up well? Oh, yeah, I think it does. And, it's again, like this movie... Great cast. And when you got a great cast, that can definitely take some of the moments that maybe don't hit as well as they could. And they still make them accessible. Like, they still make them fine. Yeah. Because it's got a great cast and they're working their butts off, except for Rudy. Except for fucking Rudy. I mean, trust me, I'm going to love all over this movie, but I'm also going to shit on a couple little parts here and there, mostly revolving around fucking Rudy. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not. yeah, I'm probably going to join you in that sentiment. Uh, we shall see. But I will say right off the bat, raunchy or semi-raunchy 90s, late 90s, early 2000s movies like The Hangover, Old School, uh, gosh, what else? Uh, Euro Trip, Road Trip. None of these movies would exist if it wasn't for a movie like Bachelor Party. Yeah, a hundred percent agreed. And as I'm watching Bachelor Party, you know, like like some of my notes were like, uh, you know, Michael Dudikoff's character was was very underutilized and everything. Right. And, and I yeah. and I look, you know, I think forward ahead, you know, to stuff like uh, like you just mentioned, The Hangover and everything. And I was like, those movies do a better job of sort of giving every character and actor like stuff to do and everything. But those movies wouldn't exist without this movie right here. And I'm sure Aaron could name a few others of its ilk, but this is probably one of the more mainstream zany sex romps from the early eighties. Right. Wouldn't you say sex comedies? I should say. Yeah. Um, just, you know, I'll go into it a little bit with the, the casting crew that, um, Bob Israel and, uh, Neil Israel directed it. Bob Israel and Neil and Neil Israel, or Israel. Is that uh, what you guys it. do? Neil and Bob. Oh, Neil and Bob. Oh, uh, and uh, then Pat Proft is another screenwriter as well. They, they were the ones who uh, were the masterminds behind this movie. And Pat Proft wrote um, the hot shots movie, the scary movie movies, wrongfully accused, a lot of those parody movies. So that kind of humor tracks. And Pat Proft is actually in the movie as well. And uh, if you don't know where it is, we will call it out when it happens. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Uh, And then (laughs) Neil Israel. (laughs) It's the butt. Uh, Neil Israel uh, wrote Police Academy. So, you know, that's that came out the exact same year that this one did. And I feel like those movies, you know, share. Well, and so did Pat Proft. Pat Proft wrote that as well. Uh, so these guys are behind some really strong, uh, zany comedies. But Neil Israel, I'm going to give him an additional shout out because he uh, and Pat Proft wrote Real Genius. Yeah, that's a favorite of yours. It is not a movie we cover on Pad, but a, co- a movie we cover on $2 Late Fee. Yeah. Uh, you know I love that movie. It's in my top three of all time and or top four uh, depending on how I'm feeling and uh, yeah I mean that kind of like 
quick one-liners for um, what would be considered like loser dudes to come back with a quick one-liner to the upper class kind of rich people. That's like the trademark of this guy. Yeah. You know? And you said it, this came out the same year that uh, Police Academy came out. And I, I'd say nowadays people probably talk about reference Police Academy more, maybe Revenge of the Nerds more. Um, but I feel like back in the day this movie was probably it was a popular one. I remember people talking about it. But I feel like it's it's faded a bit into obscurity in the 2020s by the time we're at now, whereas on the flip side of the coin, you know, like say John Carpenter's The Thing was considered like an obscure horror movie, like in the 90s probably, but now it's uber mainstream because everyone's championed it so much. So the idea of what's obscure and what's cult kind of changes from the perspective that you're looking at, at it from, you know? And I'd say, like say of this or The Burbs, I'd say The Burbs is probably more mainstream than this, uh, it's, you know, at this point now, especially in Tom Hanks's career, you know? I think this one, yeah, falls a little bit more obscure because of the subject matter. Yeah. You know, it's alienating an audience. It's not relatable for everybody. It's a dude movie. Yeah. Because it's got naked chicks in it. And, uh, and you know, it's and dudes very, doing dude things. <laughs> yeah. The women are like very cliche. And then, you know, Tawny Katane, who we love, of course, she's just like, oh, OK, 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 okay whatever Rick, you say, whatever you say, Rick, <laughs> chase me around with the egg beater. It's OK. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. It is it definitely uh, alienates an audience. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying it's fact, you know, and that's maybe why it fell into this kind of some more obscure zone uh i think the hangover is like that you know oftentimes people talk about the hangover and how much they love the hangover but then people don't really talk about it a whole lot anymore you yeah notice that yeah. when it came out everybody was talking about the hangover but now not really anybody mentions it and uh dare i say let's talk about bachelor party more because it's got more going on it's 1984 it's, it's the highlight of the 80s yeah man this is this is awesome this movie is so much fun uh, i absolutely have a blast with it there's yeah, it's there's never a dull moment, and actually one of the longer comedies if you think about it of its time. Yeah, it's hour almost, and forty five minutes. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, but really quick, let's just talk about the cast. We got our boy Tommy Hanks in all his glory. My favorite era of Tom Hanks, my eighties Tom Hanks. I'm yeah. not a fan of nineties and two thousand and now. I'm just not. He plays Rick Gasco. We're on the same page, dude. This is my favorite Tom Hanks type. Um, he is crazy. He is unhinged, but there's a there's a strong likability about him. Um, can't tell if it's cocaine or not, but he's definitely high energy throughout this movie. But yeah, this in the burbs, this whole era of Tom Hanks is my favorite era of Tom Hanks. If you had to pick one movie of Tom Hanks, one movie, which one would it be? Mine's easy. It's the burbs. I you know that. I love that movie. But a harder question would be for you. What what are some that probably you know the listeners probably wouldn't guess for you? What would that be? God, that's a tough. You know, part of me wants to say Money Pit. Um, does Bosom Buddies count? No. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess I would go with. I guess I would go with Big. Uh, I really love Big. Yeah. Definitely not going with Forrest Chump. No. Uh, you know how I feel about that. No. And yeah, I go with Money Pit or. I would go with Money Pit or Big. And of the non-comedy stuff of Tom Hanks, I, I liked him in Saving Private Ryan. I thought he does a great job in that, uh, you know, as far as acting goes and, of course, action as well. But I, I liked him in that movie. 
Yeah, you know, and actually I was going to throw out a couple. Dragnet, I love. Uh, one of His drama that he did, Nothing in Common, mm. with uh, jo- uh, Jackie Gleason. That's a, I think that's a pretty good one. It's underrated. Um, not Joe versus the Volcano. No, I switch. I remember renting as a kid or seeing it once, and I was like, oh, I never need to see this again. Yep. <laughs> Pass. You know who I would love to see again and again and again, but sadly we never will because she passed away uh, about a year ago now, I think, was Tawny Katane. She plays Debbie Thompson. Tawny Katane, we know. We love Tawny Katane. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, sad fact, all the Thompsons, technically the entire Thompson family have passed uh, in, in this in this movie, you know, all the actors. Uh, what I, what really stood out for me with Tawny is how much chemistry she had with Tom Hanks in this movie. And honestly, I, as much as we loved Witchboard, absolutely adored that film, I think she does a better job in this movie than in that one. Yeah, she's a really good actor. She's, I mean, let's not, you know, let's call it like we see it. She's she's beautiful. Uh, she could be like, she could be a fashion model. You know, but she's she's a really good actor and she's very entertaining. Yeah. Um, just the way she kind of carries herself energy wise. She's a great performer. And yeah, I I'd say this is uh, stronger than Witchboard, But, you know, Witchboard is it's fun. Oh, we yeah. love that. movie too. <laughs> we do. We love that. movie. Now, apparently um, Kelly McGillis and I believe Paul Reiser were supposed to be up for these roles. Um, but then I think Kelly McGillis and Paul Reiser did not have the same chemistry that Tom Hanks and Tawny Katane had uh, here. And then I think they even uh, uh, got rid of Kelly McGillis because they even, I think they said she wasn't attractive enough or whatever. But oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's Poor Kelly. That's, that's who was up for it originally. I can't see that. I mean, Paul. I like Paul Reiser. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. You know, he he's. But but yeah. I I mean, Tom Hanks has a different energy about him. It is really interesting to think about Hanks. He just suddenly became serious all of a sudden, and everyone everyone who well, not everybody. I I was like, I don't like this version of Hanks anymore. I don't like this. <laughs> and it's like, like this, this is Oscar what you're winning. stuck with forever now. <laughs> I know. It just it's like when Chevy Chase uh, lost a bunch of weight. And then suddenly, like, his, you know, he started wearing glasses and, like, he, I don't know if he lost his eyesight or what, but I think it was like Cops and Robertsons was the last movie he did where I'm like, uh, he's starting to look different now. I don't like this Chevy. Yeah. I like the kind of hus- somewhat huskier, you know, non vegan diet Chevy. Yeah. It's that kind of thing where they just suddenly change. Bill Murray is, I think, it's one of the few guys that, has never really changed. It's just always been Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, just don't let don't make me watch Lost in Translation. I just don't want to watch that movie. Yeah, <laughs> now I'll give, give me Scrooge any day, any day. But like he's really think if you think about him, maybe Dan Aykroyd. Eh, Dan Aykroyd, he got like a little too. I think once too, he gained a bunch too of heavy, that, yeah, yeah, and then suddenly he was like too overpowering you know i always liked how in real ghostbusters the ray character was like drawn fat but when you go back and look at it like like dan Aykroyd in the first ghostbusters was not that heavy like he was just he was the size of a normal dude but for some reason it was uh the real ghostbusters cartoon was prophetic on uh which who was gonna get fat of all four of them yeah i do love those cartoons oh well anyways that's another discussion um Speaking of uh, people who are in a particular kind of shape, Adrian Zemed plays Jay O'Neill. So someone that I am not familiar with at all. Oh, I am, really? I, no, I maybe, I mean, tell me. Like, what, where should I be familiar with him? Now, I know, of course, you, you're you familiar with him. 
Um, but yeah, well, this is the only Hooker. Thing... Okay, T.J. Hooker. Was he a recurring character on T.J. Hooker? Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, you know, the he was the second to uh, gotcha uh, to to Shatner and Locklear. So, fun fact: I've never actually seen an episode of T.J. Hooker. Well, you don't need to, okay. Um, but <laughs> but I, you know, he was a performer. He's a singer. At, you know, he has a song in this, I think, which dare I say is one of the strongest songs in the movie. Oh, and it's a fun scene too. I wasn't sure why they gave him that scene, but okay, now that makes sense. Yeah, he had a. He was a, the host of a of a dance party show as well. Uh, it wasn't Solid Gold, but it was. It was like that. Um, you know, he, he was on so many things in the 80s, and he was in Greece too, which everybody loves. Uh, you know, he, he just – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause and I'm going to look it up. I apologize. It was Solid Gold. He was, one, he was the host of Solid Gold for the longest time. No Solid shit. Solid Gold. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think he performed on there as well. But, yeah, he's, he's at one point all oiled up, and I'm like, that dude clearly waxes his body. Yeah. And I've got no problem with that because I would do the same thing if I could afford to. Uh, he, he does play the sleaziest character in, well, him and Rudy. Yeah, well, Rudy's sleaze. vulgar. I'd say he's, he's sleazy, but I love it. It's great. He is sleazy. He is. I mean, he's tying a dude up and then he's taking photos of him. Yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, so, so another real genius connection here. Robert Prescott plays Cole Whittier. Uh, Robert Prescott. I know him as Kent from Real Genius. I this you know I, I haven't seen Real Genius in forever. I think I saw it once with you. I think I was pretty fucking high. Um, <laughs> oh baby, as, you as, gotta watch it. As far as villains go, man, Cole was a great villain. Great in the fact of how much comeuppance he gets and how bitchy and whiny he is about it. And I I loved seeing the devastation of Cole in this movie. What was the movie with uh, Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson, The Wedding uh, Crashers? Oh, Wedding Crashers, yeah. Yeah, and what's Bradley Cooper's in that? Right? Yeah, yeah he's kinda, like... he plays the dick in that one, yeah, but... But that, but that, I know he's not the first dick. You know, if we go back, you could say Animal House was one of the more cliche type ones. But he's his this role is a cookie cutter moving forward. Like people basically just took this character and slapped a different actor on it for all of those movies that came out in the future. You know, old school as yep. well. Yeah, like all the movies that had a love interest and and had some sort of conflict with the love interest. Cole. It was based on Cole. That's yeah. that's my assertion. And he's so much fun, dude. He's he's just, the best. It's, he's it's, actually the highlight of the movie, in my opinion. I I think he's really fucking good at, at being bad. I do think that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he fights so fun. Yeah. <laughs> funnily too. Um, William Tepper plays Doctor Stan Gasco, aka Scumbag. <laughs> well. Can I say that I was Sorry, I was scumbag. <laughs> I know, but they're they're kind of all scumbags except for Rick. Um, yeah, but uh, not gonna lie, at first I was like, yeah, whatever to to Stan. Watching the movie and then like twice, I was like, low key, he's like one of my favorite uh, characters in the movie. He's so funny, especially when they're doing the uh, when Cole's like trying to you know get Rick to either take the the Porsche or Debbie, and they're all yelling back and forth. I like the guy playing Stan uh, William Tepper. He's like he's like Debbie uh, Porsche Debbie Porsche. He's hilarious. <laughs> he brings a, brings a lot of energy to the role, and I buy the fact that he he would he's you know uh, Tom Hanks's older brother in the movie. 
Yeah, no, I, I've got no problem with him. I thought he was super entertaining. And I will be a little tongue-in-cheek when I trash these guys because, come on, let's be honest. Like, they, they, <laughs> they are scumbags if they're like, you got to have sex one more time before you get married because once you get married, you can't cheat on your girlfriend. You can't cheat on your wife, but you can cheat on your girlfriend. Well, and according to Dr. Stan Gasco, once you get married, by like month four, you're already numb <laughs> to, to everything. Jesus. And I know, I was like... I was like, that was a disturbing outlook <laughs> on his well, marriage. Well, <laughs> it's kind of perfect timing because uh, playing his wife is Dr. Tina, as Dr. Tina Gasco is Wendy Jo Sperber. Uh, I know her and love her from Bosom Buddies. Bosom Buddies. <laughs> yeah, ding, 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 ding. I knew you were going to say that. But of course, she played Linda McFly, uh, Marty McFly's sister in the Back to the Future movies. Um, she was in 1941. Uh, unfortunately, she passed away in 2005 at the age of 47. Not not a good run. No. That's, that's sad because she's awesome. Yeah, she's fun. She's, yeah, when she fucking beats up those cops and beats up her husband, she's great. She was diagnosed with, she died of breast cancer. Damn, fuck. Oh, okay. That sucks. She's great in this, though. She's great in this. She is. She really is. She really is. She can can throw a mean right hook. You know who's who's great at fucking pissing me off in this fucking movie? (laughs) Barry Diamond as Rudy. Fucking Barry Diamond. And you know what? He was also in Seinfeld, an episode of Seinfeld. He was one of my least favorite like side characters in Seinfeld. He was the comedian that like was trying to get Jerry to like keep his jacket in Jerry's closet and and he would like they shared a cab. He was so fucking annoying on Seinfeld and he's so fucking annoying every every second of this movie. Oh. And it, do- it doesn't bring down my enjoyment of the movie it, because thankfully his character's not in it a lot, weirdly. Like, as much as this is an ensemble He's cast, working on the car. Yeah, he's working on the car and shit. Thank fucking God. But, like, Barry Diamond. Like, I mean, look, I don't know how if the guy's annoying or not, but Rudy? Rudy can go fuck himself. <laughs> I won't go that hard, but, um, but he does remind me of Kevin James, and I'm not a fan of Kevin James. Yeah, he I'll, reminds I'll me of, like, a terrible that. Kevin James, you know? Yeah, it's just, like, it's so forced. It's it's the guy, and I, I I mean I've known guys that just yell all the time in yeah. your face. Yeah, and guess what? I'm not friends with them, and I don't want to be friends with them. I've known them, but I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm not gonna hang out with you because you're a fucking asshole. Yeah, I don't want to be friends with that guy. You know who I want to be friends with? I want to be friends with Gary, played <laughs> so by you, Gary Grossman. So you can get your concert kids tickets. <laughs> yeah, I love this guy. I, I I love him. I love this guy so much. Um, and uh, you know he he doesn't have the most extensive filmography. Um, you know, but, but still, I think in this, he's wonderful. He, uh, he, he just, he's like, he's like that cocky guy who probably shouldn't be cocky, but he, he just is. And you got to love him for it. Yeah. 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 He's, he's wild. I, I had a fun time with, uh, with Gary in this one. And, you know, unfortunately he, uh, is the, the butt of a joke that probably wouldn't, uh, hit very well in 2022 yeah yeah still thought it was funny but i, I thought it was funny yeah but i but yeah we'll, we'll talk about when we get there uh uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, would you be friends with raiko hey raiko hey played by michael dudikoff fucking somebody who is completely underutilized in this movie uh also is a fucking smoke show his body is fucking fantastic but like he just <laughs> i felt like he didn't bring anything like what was the point of his of his character? He didn't really bring much to the table, 
And I think that wasn't his fault. I think that was the script's fault. It just didn't have enough for him to do in it, you know. But I like seeing him. I mean, shit. At first, I was like, who the I was like, who the fuck is that? Why is he familiar? And I texted Zach. I was like, fucking Michael Dudikoff. Well, this movie, a lot of the original screenplay kind of got chopped for mm. more of the raunchy, over-the-top scenes. Um, so, and Ryko's character was one of the characters that got kind of neutered okay. uh, by that. But but his his character overall is like a hunky boy, meathead, kind of working out dude. So a lot of what ended up getting cut out was him you know, talking about wanting to work out and put up a roll, you know, pull up bar in the hotel oh. room and shit like that. So, you know. Okay. So he wasn't but doing he, any. He brings the donkey. Yeah, he does. So he wasn't doing any uh, ninja stuff uh, in the cut version. He wasn't. But, you know, the thing about Michael Dudikoff is, yeah, he's mostly known for his action roles. Um, he was in a really weird movie. I think it's directed by Albert Pune, I think. It's called Radioactive Dreams hmm. with, um, uh, oh gosh, he was in. Christine and my science project. Anyways, this movie is like a sci-fi musical uh, action uh, comedy. It's a bunch of different things. It's really different. And I highly recommend people seek it out. It came out in 85. Uh, John Stockwell is his name. And uh, yeah, you should check, check out radioactive dreams. Interesting. He chance. did that right after this. So he went right from this to that. So yeah, and that's... I, I love that movie personally. And you're right, it, it was a Albert Pune movie. Oh, poor, poor, poor Albert Pune. He's not doing very well right now. I'm so, um, that sucks. But you know who does uh, well in this, even though he acts like he's not, is uh, Bradford Bancroft, who plays Brad Mullen. <laughs> the, the, yeah, this. So at first, I didn't quite understand what he was trying to do, and I, you know, I know they're trying to say he's on drugs, but. Any drugs that I've ever done have never made me like that. But here's the thing. I was kind of annoyed by him the first viewing. Second viewing, I was okay with him. And I actually had fun with his character uh, the second viewing. For some reason, I just was not expecting a character like him to be in the movie. You know, in the first yeah, viewing, I, can see that. I was just kind of like, whoa, this is kind of like, it's startling, you know, because everyone's there for a good time. And then he comes in. But again, second viewing, I, I actually thought he was fun and I enjoyed his character more. Yeah, he's funny. Uh, he's fun and funny. Yeah. Um, and speaking, we'll bring up Pune one more time. Dangerously close. And John Stockwell as well. Uh, John Stockwell is in a movie called Dangerously Close with Bradford. Uh, that movie actually, Tom, our boy Tom Matthews is in that with Don Michael Paul from The Hat Squad, Carrie Lowell uh, from License to Kill. Um, if If you're interested in checking out something that's kind of uh, you know, a little edgy high school drama where everybody looks like they're in their 30s because they are. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Tom 20s. Matthews is in it. Yep. Check out Dangerously Close. Nice. But yeah, and and then, you know, there's other people, other uh, female actors in the movie that, well, that play like Debbie's friends. I'm just going to, but I'm not going to bring them up. I'm going to bring up um, one notable actor who I think is worth mentioning, and that's Monique Gabrielle. She has a very small role, uh, but very large in many ways, but very, very fucking memorable. Yeah, I she went down a Tracy. rabbit hole. I went down a rabbit hole uh, for her. Yeah. Oh, did you? And and so when you went down said rabbit hole, did, I'm did, sure it was very wet and smooth to go down because yeah. you know. Did I land up. on Did I land on Emmanuel Five? Of course I did. Yes. 
Yes. Uh, yeah. She used to be, okay, so uh, I don't mean this the way it may sound, but she used to be gorgeous and then she got a lot of work done and changed up her look, which is always sad when that that sort of happens and cuz man, she's just like wow. She's just, yeah, she's a 10. But yeah, she was. She, there's two uh, Playboy uh, playmates uh, in this. Uh, her and Roseanne Caton. She was another uh, Playboy bunny in this movie. So uh, two of them, and uh, both of them, both of them, are gorgeous. Uh, Roseanne Caton was in Motel Hell. Uh, she was also in, I think, like Black Mama, White Mama, uh, stuff like that. So. Okay, well, I'll uh, I got, I'll I'll up your Roseanne by giving you a Ginger Lynn. Yeah, um, yeah. of course, I knew it. I the minute I saw her, I'm like, Aaron's gonna give a shit if we don't call out the fact that Ginger Lynn is in this movie. You guys know who Gin, you guys know who Ginger Lynn is. She's a very um, she's got a uh, very interesting filmography. <clears throat> <clears throat> I believe she's in uh, New York Ninja too. By the way, oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, so which we will get to at some point. On our on pad, but uh, and, she, and she's I apologize. In a band. Yeah, she was in a band, uh, and I do apologize. Uh, Ebony, Ivory, and Jade is the uh, is the movie that uh, Roseanne Caton was in, not Black Mama, White Mama. Well, I like both those titles. Yeah, actually. <laughs> and I, and I just want to point out really quick. Uh, so Fox put out a Blu-ray, which I own. I think it's, I uh, it it it's not. It's out of print right now, out, and I'm trying yeah, to. Out of print. I'm trying so to track the, down a copy on on eBay, and this thing's going for like sixty five bucks. I'm like, fuck. Yeah, I didn't pay that much, but I definitely paid more than I expected to. And they they bastardized the original uh, poster art by giving you like this yeah. this you know road trip, uh, old school hangover. Yeah, like, like a that g- kind of art style. Generic. generic. A generic mid two thousand and tens movie poster style to it. It's fucking terrible, especially compared to the original poster. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. It's not good. But you know what is good? Bachelor party. Yeah, and we're gonna get into it right now. Twentieth Century Fox has brought you stories of love, war, adventure. Now another classic tale. Rick Gasco is a man who lives to love. Hi, sister. You look terrific today. What have you done with your hair? Ready? Yo! A man with talent. Good taste. I uh, hope you like potato salad. It's chunky style, my favorite. Good friends. This is the problem with American cars. Good news. I'm getting married. Yeah, right. Yeah, let's have a bachelor party with chicks guns and fire trucks and hookers and his bride debbie it's you was raised in a different world rick we don't have a dog oh that's too bad that's a waste of some good fat you're obnoxious a man bond james bond a woman oh come on honey (laughs) a bachelor party for him a bridal shower for her a night to encounter ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends, ex-men, and excitement. Is that 20th Century Fox invites you to witness a tradition no one will discuss in public. That would be out of sight, dude. 
a motion picture event you can't afford to miss. This is the best 3D I've ever seen. I've seen better. Bachelor Party, starring Tom Hanks, a man's tradition every woman should know about. Hey, it's dark in here. All right, that beautiful Fox logo, which now, nowadays, Fox logos or 20th Century Fox logo just says like 20th Century Pictures or something like that. When yeah. If you watch a Fox movie now because it's owned by um, Disney. Right? Yeah. So interesting. Anyways, I missed the old logo. Uh, it opens with an organ playing and then fades in on a, uh, on a private school. Uh, a bunch of kids are waiting with a nun. Uh, outside the steps of this school and suddenly out of nowhere it, you hear a screeching down the street and a school bus pulls right up in front of the school school bus opens and it's rick and he says hi to the the nun sister mary francis and she <laughs> says you're late again rick and he's like i know sister but i got a good excuse and she's like there can be no excuses for tardiness he's like you're absolutely right i should never have stopped to save that drowning infant I'm just weak. He's so zany. And I got to call out to Sister Mary Frances, Florence Schaufler, played the uh, the old hag witch in Pumpkinhead. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, she plays an old hag (laughs) nun in this one. (laughs) Yep. So there you go. Uh, Anyways, the, the kids get on the bus filing on, and Rick is like, flirting with the nun messing with her he's like do you ever get lonely after after vespers he goes if you do why don't you give me a call i'm in the book (laughs) (laughs) and then she says get going rick you're late enough and so they get on gets on the bus and the bus takes off as soon as they're out of sight of the school all the kids start acting like maniacs it's hilarious it's like the cliche thing where the the kids are acting like you know total goofballs and he's a goofball. He has like a one of those hula dancer st- girl statues under his his Mother Mary statue or whatever. My question to you is: Is he the is he the proto Otto on The Simpsons? Like, because I don't think The Simpsons was out in '84, right? Wasn't it? It wasn't Simpsons like '88 or something. That's a good call. Yeah. yeah, that that's a really good call. I mean, I would not be surprised. If he's because he is kind of, you know, he's yelling at the kids. He's like, if you don't calm down, I'm going to drive this thing over a cliff, you know, and uh, one kid has a Playboy magazine that he's <laughs> yeah. pulling out. And yeah. It's very like it's very parody. That's the thing throughout this, guys, if any of you and we know you're not, but if any of you are like PC in any way, turn this off. Just go ahead and give us five stars anyways. Give us five stars. <laughs> write us a review saying we're great. Then turn then turn us off because this is not a PC film. No. There's no. gonna be a lot of un PC stuff. I will not do certain character voices, uh, aka the pimp later on. But yeah. uh, I will not who do I that. Love, who I love, by the way. But yeah, I, I get it. Too. <laughs> but I will not, even though I could if I wanted to, but in twenty twenty two I guess I cannot. I love how this everybody goes in twenty twenty two. Like, you know, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, kids are having a good old time on the bus. And so's Rick. He's like a big kid anyways in this. Movie. Yeah, totally. Totally. Cut to a uh, mall camera store where O'Neill, uh, we're introduced to O'Neill. He's finishing up with a customer and he says, have a nice day to her. Uh, to them and then suddenly he sees this beautiful mom with a baby not a baby but like a toddler 
Uh, and he gets super excited and he walks right up to her and he's looking at her chest and he goes, whoa, look at those babies. <laughs> it's, I mean, right out of the gate. You know you what go. you're in store for here. <laughs> I'm glad I gave the warning and then I read that. I know. I know. Right out of the gate. Uh, and, and the young lady, the mom here, is played by Angela Ames. She was on Night Court. She's been on Cheers. She was in Scarface. She's gorgeous. Unfortunately, she passed away in 1988 <laughs> at the age of 32. <laughs> It's not going to keep me from talking about her chest, though. <laughs> Have you ever, um, ever, you know, enjoyed yourself and then suddenly realized that the person you enjoyed yourself to is dead? Can you still enjoy yourself to them? Yes. Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know. I'm asking for you. Asking for a friend, yes. <laughs> me being you. that friend. You being that friend. Um, so anyways, yeah. So here's the thing about O'Neill really quick and Adrian Zemed. I love Adrian Zemed. I feel, but I feel like, like he's, and I love his character. I think he's great. He's almost too sweet to be as sleazy as he is. He doesn't look sweet. You know what I'm saying? He, or he doesn't look really sleazy. Nice. He looks sweet. He doesn't look sleazy. And yet he is sleazy. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. It's a little bit odd. There's a kind of a juxtaposition there because uh, he has a little bit of a – his face is unique. He kind of has a little bit little bit of a baby face um, surrounded a by a lot body. of hair but a very manly body. Uh, yeah, dude. Yeah, I. It's it's interesting, but – the energy in the scene, I think, is a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, and, so great. And so, hot and super yes. hot. <laughs> yeah, so he takes the mom. Uh, she asks her if she's married, and she goes separated, and he goes, there is a God. Why don't we take that baby picture? He starts dressing up the baby with sunglasses. He's laying the baby uh, with, like, an ocean backdrop. It's not working. They put on, like, a, a space backdrop with alien, like, googly uh googly toy on his head and that reminded me of real genius too when yeah. val kilmer puts the googly thing uh my my brother i think had that same backdrop on his wall like the wallpaper of the, <laughs> the of the moon the moon yeah uh, yeah so he's leaning in trying to get some good shots of her of the of the kid and then eventually starts taking pictures of the mom and he's pointing at her chest and he's and i love how her her top is just magically Becomes open, and he's taking all of these pictures with her, and her boobs, I mean, well, she's in a bra, but they're, like, almost fully hanging out at this point. Yeah, and then Rick shows up. I uh, love his reaction, too. He's like, oh, he does this weird run and runs into the shots. He's got, so this is the Hanks that we just don't see anymore, that wacky kind of silly Hanks. Yeah, he does so much physical comedy in this movie of weird body motions that you just do not see anymore from anybody tom hanks or or anybody else this zany comedy tom hanks man is truly one of a kind yeah and they're like they're playing with her boobs and um taking pictures with her with with her and the babies the the little kids kind of almost out of the picture completely now (laughs) and like sandwiching their heads between her breasts and you know good stuff like that (laughs) yeah yeah she's just smiling having a good time and like she's totally oblivious to all of it Suddenly you cut to the next scene, which is at a looks like an East L.A. mechanic place. It looked yeah, like East, East L.A. LA mechanic me. place. Yeah. It's Rudy's auto shop. We're going to be introduced to Rudy in a second. Uh, it's actually kind of funny. And he's 
he's working on a car. He gets up from working on the car, and he has a can of motor oil in his hand, which he thinks is uh, like a soda, and he takes a big swig off it and freaks out. <laughs> yeah, that, that's his funniest scene, in my opinion. Yeah, honestly, this whole thing is the best Rudy we're going to get the entire movie. Because he doesn't actually walk. He doesn't talk that much in this scene. Like, no, but they ADR physical. him. They fucking ADR him. It's so fucking weird. It is weird. It is weird. He's, so he's getting pissed at his coworkers uh, because he's got the motor oil. And then suddenly Rick and O'Neill show up. And they're, he's, he's now working on a car. <laughs> the car is like up on, um, it's up on a lift, you know, like an, yeah. an auto lift. Yeah, mechanic lift. Yeah, and then suddenly out of nowhere, the entire bottom of the car drops out <laughs> around him, and he yells out. He's like, "God damn it!" <laughs> he's like, "These damn American cars! This is the problem with American cars!" And then, uh, and then he yells over to Rick and O'Neill. He's like, "Come on, come help me put this crap back together, and we'll get out of here." Yeah, and all of that he just yelled was in ADR because if you look at his face, he's not actually saying anything when that car fall that falls around him he's like looking around his mouth is not moving at all so they clearly they were like okay this joke didn't work of the car falling we got to add more barry diamond pizzazz to it you know what i mean i'm just like okay yeah so this is an interesting movie because that a lot of the adr stuff i see that throughout and then i see like stunt doubles where it's clearly the stunt double and like they just didn't care they just they were like Okay, it's good. No, it's good. Move on. Yeah. Move on. The, was that Barry dancing on the, the piano table? Yep, and then the final fight scene at the end as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is really funny. Anyways, from there, you cut to uh, an, a storefront, a ticket, uh, kind of like Ticketmaster storefront, uh, where it's Gary's place of business, and he's screaming at a guy. He's like, screw that. Screw you, Sting. And he hands, <laughs> hangs up a phone, and... Uh, and he's freaking out because he's he doesn't have tickets for like certain concert events. Phone rings again. He picks it up and he's like, "Hello, concert tickets." He's like, "What? Boy George has a yeast infection. He's canceling. This will cost me." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, come on." Yeah, I know that was that was a cheap joke at Boy George. Although, although technically men can get yeast infections, so but I don't think that's what they were meaning. You you know the kind of joke they were trying to to make with that but like so what is gary is he a promoter is he a ticket scalper or because it sounds like he's actually dealing directly with like the managers of people i just didn't quite understand or maybe it's just of the time and i didn't go to concerts back in 84 because i was too young so i don't know how you got tickets to concerts back then i think he's a ticket broker yeah i think he like can get you know exclusive tickets to things and that used to be a thing back in the day versus going to like tower records where you go to the Ticketmaster booth and have to run the Ticketmaster thing and wait in that long line at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning to get tickets. To get your tickets. Yeah, I remember that. Fuck, God. yeah, dude. And then when we actually, people got computers and stuff, you had to wait online and, you know, the countdown and all that kind of shit. Yeah. In the queue or whatever. Yep, yep. yep. All the good old days. Yeah, so he runs like a ticket agency. Um, Rick and, and O'Neill and Rudy show up and they're getting ready to go. They want, they want Gary to go with them. And uh, the phone rings again, and Gary's annoyed. He's like, I told you not to... I told you not to call again. You're full of shit. You keep my... Oh, oh, hi, Mom. (laughs) I didn't know it was you. Eggs and milk? (laughs) And then he hangs up the phone, and they take off. 
And it should be noted that uh, the main car that they drive, or vehicle, I should say, is is Rick's school bus throughout this entire movie, which I like. I like having a gimmicky vehicle. Yeah, they've got a couple gimmicky vehicles in this. The, the school yeah. bus and then uh, another car. <laughs> the Porsche gets on. turned into the gimmicky vehicle. Yeah, I love it. Cut to a uh, nice restaurant, which feels to me like it's in the marina, Marina Del Rey or something like that. Yeah. And uh, there's a customer wanting to order. And uh, Raiko, we're introduced to Raiko's character. He's like a, a waiter at this fancy restaurant. And this businessman wants to order. And, uh, and Raiko goes, okay, yeah, no problem. Here's today's deal. And he brings over a blackboard, which is the menus. And he's starting to read it. He's like, we got a uh, veal, uh, veal, parm, parm. What's that word? And the customer goes, Parmesan. He's like, oh, yeah, that's the meat with cheese on it. I don't need cheese. Give me mucus. <laughs> he kind of reminds me when I was a bartender at a golf club for, like, I don't know, three months for a period. And uh, I, I got that job only because I, I applied because all I just wanted to be was a runner, a food runner. And they put me down as a bartender down at the, the ninth hole or the eighteenth, the 19th hole, you know, down there. And I was like, but... I've never been a bartender. They're like, it's okay. And I remember the first time someone ordered wine and I was like to the customer, can you open this? Because I didn't, I've never had opened wine before. I was like 22, 23 years old, but I felt like I, I got shades of, of Ryko in this. I was like, Oh man, I, I feel your pain, buddy. You're too dumb for this. And I was, I was way too dumb for, for bartending. I understand. Yeah. I understand that. And that feeling of feeling like a total idiot. Cause you don't know how to do something. It was the only job I've ever had where I literally every day that I was there felt like that nightmare where you go to a job that you've never been to, but you're expected to know it and you're naked. You know, that's the kind of nightmare every day. It felt like that. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm just waiting to get fired at this point. <laughs> my my grandfather used to have a bumper sticker schlacked on a piece of wood. Uh, and to this day, they buried him with it when he passed away <laughs> to this day. It's words that I live by. Uh, Across the board, yeah, I think it's the best advice you can give someone. It says, if you can't dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with bullshit. Yeah, that's a good one. I like it. I approve. So my first teaching job, my principal was like, is there anything else you want us to uh, want to leave us with before we wrap up the interview? And I said, yeah. And I told her that, and she started laughing, and she called me later that day, and I got the job. So <laughs> nice. I said, Perfect. what was it? What was it about me? She goes, that last line. I'm like, I knew it. <laughs> thanks grandpa yeah thanks grandpa rest in peace um so yeah so everybody's meeting rick and all his crew are meeting uh for some big lunch where rick's going to make a big announcement right and gary's there so stan's not there yet and brad's not there yet we get introduced to them in a little bit uh but but rick, gary's like okay we're all here what's the big announcement and rick says all right gentlemen i'm not going to write a beat i'm, I'm not going to beat around the bush I've known you guys since grade school, so I'm going to get right to it, straight from the hip, straight from the shoulder, without beating around the bush, nothing fancy, just the plain hard facts. <laughs> and then Rick goes, okay, this is it. I'm getting married. Oh, by the way, Rudy's eating like a total pig. Disgusting. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, everything, why? Everything about Rudy's disgusting. I, I, I get it. I get it. It's a character choice, but it's just so, like... It's over the top. It's distracting. It's very dis he's distracting. Is that is that the reason why you have such a hard time with him? He's distracting. No, I have a hard time with him because he's a fucking piece of shit. 
Yeah. Well, case in point, when he announces that he's getting married, everyone starts freaking out. Yeah, and especially. getting pissed off at him. Yeah, especially fucking Rudy. Yes, yes. And so he finally starts calming them down. He's like, look, this is not a joke. A week from the Saturday, Saturday after next, I turn my amateur standing and go pro. And they all look around, and uh, O'Neal gets everyone's attention by throwing food at them. And he says, guys, our buddy's getting married it's the happiest moment of his life. And you guys are giving him a hard time. You guys should be ashamed. Congratulations, buddy. And he shakes O'Neill uh, shakes his hand. And, pretend, and Rudy says, I'd rather be dead. Yeah, of course he would. But okay. But, uh, but, but fine. I'll be supportive. It's like, you know, you don't even have to say that. You could just be like, good job, man. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so O'Neill's like, look, man, if we're going to do this, at least you're going to go out in style. And then, of course, Rudy's like, yeah, man, let's throw a bachelor party with chicks and guns and fire trucks and hookers and drugs and booze. I'm like, this is the guy you don't want at your party. I know, but I do like that after he, like, says all of that stuff, Gary's like, yeah, all the things that make life worth living. And I was like, that's funny. That was funny. Yeah, he Rick's always got a great one-liner to get back at him. Yeah. By the way, you're married, I'm married. Did you have a bachelor party? Uh, well, I had I had a bachelor party with my first marriage, um, and we we went to Vegas and everything, and it was crazy and wild and whatnot. But no, not not for the second one. Um, although I did go to your uh, bachelor party for your second one. You we, sure did. My first my first one was was <laughs> a little horrifying because uh, I got a lap dance from a woman who looked like Dennis Rodman. And she made forced my brother and I to sit next to each other while she gave us both a lap dance oh, for no. double the price. She's like, uh, you and you, sit down here. And I'm like, I don't want to. This is really uncomfortable. <laughs> At the Cheetah Club in Hollywood, thanks to my buddy Daniel. And then, yeah, that was not – I was so my second go-around, I'm like, I want this to be just straight up dudes hanging out, good times and laughs. And we saw North Shore. We went yeah. to a North Shore screening. The cast was there. I got to meet the whole cast and crew. Uh, no, cast. And we did camping, too. And then we did camping that, that night. And our buddy Diallo from TV Obscura made a uh, beer ch- beer can chicken. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. shove a beer can up a chicken's butthole, and you, you make it burn, baby. Burn it, baby. All I remember is sleeping on a, on a decline and not sleeping at all that night. As much weed as I could smoke, I still probably slept one hour that entire night. Oh, but, God. Uh, <laughs> Did you share a tent with anybody? Maybe. I don't know because I know I don't have any camping gear, so I think I got my camping gear from Diallo. I don't think we were in the same tent together, but it wasn't my camping gear. Okay. Yeah. That was a fun time. That was no – I had a blast. Don't get me wrong. I had an absolute blast. And Corey and I had just become friends, and after that I was like, can I I work him into the wedding? Can I get him out here (laughs) to Hawaii? And that was not a hard ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> Anyways, Rick says to the guys, he's like, look. He says, I, I, I want you to know this marriage is not going to jeopardize my relationship with you guys. We're still going to go bowling every Tuesday. I'm still going to play cards with you every Friday. We're still going to wear each other's underwear every Sunday. Nothing's going to change. I love you guys. And I'm like, ooh, baby. I will say, that that's all going to change. I was going to say, spoiler alert. All of that's going to change, Rick. Sorry, dude. Because <laughs> the next thing you know, your wife's sitting at home. You're like, you're never home with me. Yeah. <laughs> that happened to a girlfriend of mine. She's like, where were you? I'm like, having fun. Having having a life. 
<laughs> Anyways, cut to one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yes. Neon jeans. <laughs> neon uh, jeans. <laughs> oh, kind of like neon slime. <laughs> yes, not to be confused with neon slime. Storefront. Uh, we see a couple of hot 80s babes walking into this very like hip clothing store. Uh, inside the clothing store, there's like a music montage going on. It's, People are dancing, grooving to the beat. It's just a party. And my takeaway was two things. One, was there ever a store like this in the 80s? And, and, no. and I, I figured no. But then now in 2022, how come no one's ever made a business model to make a store like this? Because it seems so much fun it is literally a party now granted people are stealing clothes so clearly the people working there don't really care but yeah. it's still an awesome vibe the 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 outfits are amazing the decor is amazing it's a oh it is a slice a beautiful slice of 80s life right here beautiful slice and we're introduced initially to phoebe one of debbie's friends who is very ditzy you know, she's a customer comes up to her and says, I like to pay for these. And she's like, oh, huh? Yeah, wait, wait till the song's over. <laughs> yeah. And then you cut to. Yeah. Like like you said, there's two women shoplifting. Uh, then you pan to a dude who approaches Debbie. We're introduced to Debbie th- for the first time, says he'd like to try on these clothes to her. And uh, this is hilarious. Again, this is like parody stuff. Uh, she's talking about how great the this outfit is that he's chosen. And she takes him over to a dressing room. And when they close the dressing room uh, door, it's not a full door. It's like a barn. It's like a half door. Yeah. And only the top half is, is you know, concealing the, the, guy, the person in the room. So he takes his pants off and suddenly you see this guy's bare ass hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, then she kind of pans over and, like, the next barn door is low. The next one's high. So it's like you can tell it was done for an aesthetic but not – for practicality you know and she even calls it out on that too yeah she calls out phoebe she's like uh phoebe i don't think your brother uh finished the dressing room doors and phoebe's like what do you mean they look great yeah 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 and it's mostly dudes butts it's yeah it's mostly dudes butts but yeah design wise it's supposed to be kind of cool and everything but not practical yes (laughs) so now you cut back to uh the girl still shoplifting and then another woman walks in. Her name's Bobby. She approached, and she's beautiful, by the way. Yes, actually one of my favorites of the side characters, right, of the friends. Yes. yes. Uh, and she's and she comes up to Debbie, and she's like, Debbie, I'm supposed to be your friend, and you don't tell me? And uh, Bobby says, uh, she's like, I just heard from O'Neal. I'm so excited. You're getting, you're getting married to Rick. And the girls hug each other, and they get excited for Debbie. And then Bobby... Uh, she asks, she's like, does Cole know about this? And then Phoebe's like, yeah, you dated him for two years. And she's like, no, he won't leave me alone. And and then Bobby's like, well, your parents can't be too thrilled. And she's like, as far as they're concerned, the only good Rick is a dead Rick. But I don't care. It's my decision. <laughs> so clearly no one likes Rick. We now know she has like a next boyfriend that's still in love with her. It's all starting to flow together. Exactly. And real quick, just want to call Bobby out. She's played by Tracy Smith, uh, probably most famous for Hot Dog the Movie with uh, Robert Naughton. I'm sorry, David Naughton. Yeah, and I I really like that movie too, by the way. We maybe might cover that down the road. I mean, Uh, at this point, I'm totally in the mood for uh, sex comedies, my dude. Well, thanks to Aaron. Aaron, you're... 
thank you once again. Uh, <laughs> thank and, you. and Aaron, because of you, we're given this great line, one of my favorite lines in the movie, because Bobby says, oh, to Debbie, she's like, it seems like only yesterday I showed you how to give a blowjob. <laughs> I don't believe it. And, and then Rick all the guys kind of stop and look at her. Yeah, it's like the record scratches, basically. And, they, and they're all leering in on her with, like, scummy 80s guy looks. <laughs> Cut to the nighttime at Rick and Debbie's apartment. And Rick is singing, uh, singing a song while he's making dinner. And he's got, like, a bunch of different things going on. He's making Swedish meatballs. And uh, he's talking to himself, too. He's, like, narrating what he's doing. He's saying, you know, he's like a veritable UN dinner for Swedish meatballs. And he's like he was working on an art project as well with like uh, what is it like a welding welding tool? Yeah. So is he I guess he's an artist. I guess he's supposed to be like a a metal artist or something. Um, You don't kind of get too much into it. But my takeaway from the scene is it's a lot of fun to see Tom Hanks in one take. Like, there's no cutting here. Like, he's making this food and doing all this kind of stuff. Very minimal cutting. And he's he is so much fun to watch in this scene. Yeah, because I feel like he's just improvising he, mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff. You know, he's talking about paprika being the spice of the night. And he's throwing meatballs in a pot. And then he's like, oh, a little bit of vino? Vino would be Kino. Yeah. I want some wine. I want some wine. He says it like, I want some wine. He's, he's just, he is unhinged in a good way. Like, it's it's a lot of fun. I am curious about his energy level, though. <laughs> if You know what I mean? Like, is this just Tom Hanks? Is this just 100% Tom Hanks? Because I don't really know his his background, if he ever, you know, did drugs or anything like that. Like, famously, like, we all know, uh, you know, Bill Murray Scrooged. Uh, that movie Scrooged is, like, his most, the most coked out Bill Murray was and everything. And we all know Chevy Chase and whatnot. But I don't really know about Tom Hanks, to be honest with you. I don't know, because in the 80s, this is how Hanks was all the time. Yeah. You know, Bosom Buddies, Money Pit, Splash. But the Burbs, he wasn't this level of zany in the burbs he was starting to slow down yeah this is at this is like what was that 88 when that came out this is rape because i think when he hit the 90s and he started doing his romantic comedies and then suddenly he's like the leading man in a in a loving like romantic way meh i think he just lost his for me he lost his charm i know for for many people they a lot of people love that version of hanks this is the version of hanks i love the the wacky silly hanks and for the main reason to watch this if you've never ever seen it or if you're like me you haven't seen it in 30 years tom hanks is the main reason to watch this movie scenes like this are are just you just don't get this anymore you know this is just fantastic no and and debbie comes home uh to their apartment and rick's she says hi to him and rick's using his welding torch to heat up uh, the meatballs because all the other burners are occupied on the stove and she's like what are you doing and he's like oh, i'm just welding up dinner that's all and he gives her a kiss uh, like through the welding mask and then they start making out and she hugs him tight and they're kissing and they're hugging and they're kissing and they're hugging and she goes god you're a slob and he's like yeah but a fabulous cook and she's like what are we having he goes oh, it's either swiss steak meatloaf or charred flesh why do we name it after the meal the dinner is looking disgusting, but 
they're going to eat it anyways. Uh, there's a fire going out in one of the frying, frying pans. Rick douses it out with fire. He's like, oh, and don't, it's okay. It's supposed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they're having like small talk as Debbie's setting the table. She says that Bobby and Phoebe are going to throw her a wedding shower. And, uh, and, he, and she's like, it's going to be fun. He's like, not as much fun as the bachelor party the guys are throwing for me. And he says, I hope you like potato salad. It's chunky style, my favorite. And he cuts to him holding a bowl of potato salad, but it's literally two raw potatoes in a bed of lettuce. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a funny visual gag. That was funny. And she's like, oh, you're, you're going to have a bachelor party? She like gets a little cons- concerned. He's like, of course, I'm a traditional guy. It's a traditional event. And I got to push back because for the rest of the movie – She's like, well, you're a traditional guy, so he's gonna, you know, gonna do traditional things at a bachelor party, which I guess is like have sex with hookers. But I'm like, but Tom, but but Rick is not a traditional guy. He's an he's he's an artist. He's he's you know a twenty something year old that, that drives a school bus for kids. He's if anything, he is a non traditional guy. But yet they really try to hammer home that he's a traditional dude. This movie. Well, his version of tradition. Because she's like, are there going to be girls at this party? And he goes, no, it, it's a stag party. That means the girls stay home. And she's like, oh, I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about hookers. And he goes, oh, those. What do you mean? She's like, well, for what I've heard, it's a tradition. And you're a traditional guy. And she start, they start kissing. And she's like, and he's like reassuring her. He's like, no, it's going to be fine. You know, and she's like, I need you to promise. He's like, you got it. You got it. I promise, you know. I guess his version of tradition is not that part of it. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. I'm assuming. And they start making out on the table. They knock all the dishes to the floor. Like someone, like anyone does, you yes. know, any loving yeah. couple does. Mm-hmm. They knock all the dishes off the table and start going at it. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, wait, I got a surprise for you. And he comes back when he's got a hand mixer in yeah. his hand <laughs> and he runs off screaming. And she runs off screaming. And he runs off screaming after her. And that'll be a gag that comes back at the end of the movie. For some odd reason. Not one of my favorite gags in the movie. I agree. I agree. There is a funny gag coming up that that I do enjoy. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. We wrestled the demon Pazuzu in The Exorcist. Your mother is in here, Karis. Would you like to leave a message? I'll see that she gets it. We hooked the fisherman killer, Ben Willis, and I know what you did last summer. Oh, you got a letter? I got run over, Helen gets her hair chopped off, Julie gets a body in her trunk, and you get a letter. That's balanced. We survived a summer away with the angel of death, Angela Baker, in sleepaway camp. Look what I did. I packed you and your cousin some goodies for the ride up to camp. Wasn't that nice of me, hmm? But we ain't seen nothing yet. Join Alex and Dean of the Return Revenge Resurrection Podcast as we go toe-to-toe with the ever-resourceful Michael Myers. I shot him six times! Be there as we discuss the Halloween franchise in its entirety, from John Carpenter's beloved 1978 classic to David Gordon Green's epic forthcoming finale. I shot him in the heart! We cover it all. The good, the bad, and the bloody. Return, Revenge, Resurrection. A podcast that slashes its way through horror movie franchises. You don't know what death is. New episodes every Thursday, available wherever podcasts are found. I told everyone! And now, back to the show. 
cut to a doctor office the next day. <laughs> Rick's getting a shot from his brother in his arm. I love this entire scene from beginning to all the way at the end of this scene. I love every bit of it. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. We're introduced to Stan, Rick's brother. Love Stan. <laughs> he jams the needle into Rick's arm painfully. I can feel the pain. Yeah. Um, and Rick's asking Stan if he's ready for the big party. Rick tells Stan, you know, the guys have some fascinating women lined up for you. And Stan uh, closes the door and he's like, you know, trying to quiet him down. He's like, I got the wife in the other room. And Rick looks down at his arm. He's like, is this supposed to be like this? And the needle's <laughs> just like hanging in his arm with the blood yeah. in the vial. Yeah, because Stan had to go quickly and close the door. Because Rick, when he's saying that you can tell that he's fucking with his brother. So he's saying things that he knows his brother doesn't want to come out. So he says them louder and everything. Yeah. But yeah, I do. I loved Rick's reaction when he looks down. And you don't quite see what he's looking at. And he's like, uh, is this supposed to be this way? And I like how Stan's like, no, that's wrong. That's definitely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> with like straight face yeah and then his, his stands like i can't understand why you're getting married do you have any idea what you're giving up do you have any inkling this is classic 80s male um projecting right here it's classic 80s like like male that hates his husband or hates his wife like an al bundy character and as when i was a kid I thought that that was going to be the norm when I grew up is that you're just going to hate your wife. But no, if you, you know what I mean? Like, no, if you marry the person that you love and marry, you know, your best friend, it's not going to be like that. But I don't understand why that permeated so much of pop culture in the 80s and the 90s. The Al Bundy, the, the Stan character, these guys that just, they fucking clearly just hate being married. Then just break up then. Yeah, it's a cliche that, I mean, in this day and age, because we're so much more self-aware, we look at that and then we're like, that is so not the way, it's not It's not healthy. It's not yeah. what you're supposed to do. No, that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. No, that's what makes two people bitter and, and angry and upset, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, and, and I guess a lot of Hollywood writers are maybe in that boat. Yeah, maybe. Perhaps. Uh, but anyways, I, I do like this because he's like, do you, you realize what you're giving up? He's like, everything. Wild parties, different women every night, nakedness. Nakedness. <laughs> he goes, God, I miss that so much. And Rick says, you're beginning to depress me. And Stan finally takes a needle out of his arm and says, I'm really looking forward to this bachelor party. Whatever you do, don't say anything to Tina. She'll kill me. And, says, and Stan says as he's walking Rick out of the hospital room, He's like, I told Tina I'm going to a plasma convention. <laughs> they go to the next uh, office or room, and you're introduced to Tina, who's got her finger jammed up an old dude's ass. <laughs> right up his ass. <laughs> yes. And Stan tells Tina that Rick's getting married, and she says congratulations. She pulls her finger out of his bunghole. Uh, she's got gloves on, but it's covered in butt juice, her fingers. Yeah. And she goes to Rick to give him a big old hug. But he grabs her wrist just in time before she like touches him with her face. Yeah, God, it's so disgusting, and it's so funny. Like that's your eyes don't leave her fingers. No, by the way. no, no, they don't. <laughs> and then right after that, Rick's like, "I gotta go. I gotta go get the hookers." And Tina suddenly looks at Stan and says, "Hookers." And Stan starts. Stan jokes with Rick, saying, "He's like, he didn't say hookers. He went and he starts pulling Rick out of the out of the out of the room where Tina is." Tina's got her poop finger looking very curious. And then Stan yells, 
yanks Rick out of the hospital, like into the lobby, uh, the waiting room. Rick is like pretending to be a patient of Stan's. And it's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't pay my bills. And then Stan's like, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. And they're chasing, <laughs> he's chasing him around the room. It's very wacky. Uh, Stan is legitimately pissed at Rick. And he's like, I'll rip your guts out. Get out of here. And uh, Rick's like, okay, I'll see you Saturday for the bugga bugga. And he like motions his like boob hands or whatever. <laughs> and Stan yells at him to get out. And finally he recovers after Rick leaves and he looks at this elderly woman that looks like she's going to have a heart attack. And he goes, okay, Mrs. Phillips, you're next. And then she's like, looks like she does not want to go into the doctor's office. And at that, that, at that point. Yeah, dude, this was such a fun scene, man, from beginning to end. Uh, well-paced, just like a well-paced out comedic scene. Didn't like overstep its, its time or anything like that. A lot of fun. Very much enjoy Stan and Rick's uh, <laughs> combative nature. And it is like a vignette. Like these are little vignettes along the way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whereas like um, Caddyshack was a series of vignettes that didn't ultimately link up until kind of the end of the movie yeah. with all the characters. Mm-hmm. This one does. This one, you know, because people often talk about how Caddyshack is like, or Fast Times or just one vignette after another. Right. I love that personally. I love that. But this is kind of the same deal, same yeah. same formula. Mm-hmm. From here, we're introduced to Debbie's parents, the Thompsons. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Thompson are playing Rick and Debbie in a game of doubles tennis. Actually, I wrote this down because I'm like, wait a minute. This is how I learned how to play tennis, from Rick playing tennis in this oh. movie. <laughs> because I used to hit the tennis ball the way he does. So uh, Mr. Thompson is serving Rick with a gentle lob. And then Rick hits it out of the park like a home run and drops the drops the uh, tennis racket and puts his arms up in the sky. <laughs> he does it a couple times, which clearly pisses off Mr. Thompson. It would piss me off, too. I'd be like, dude, can we just play the game? Stop fucking around. Okay, so I don't hate Rick's character, and I don't hate this movie. I very much love this movie. I hate this scene and the next scene because... From right now, what the movie's telling us, we don't know that the Thompsons are bad or anything like that, other than that they're rich. But right now, I'm watching this, and all I'm seeing is this kid, Rick, is just being a complete douchebag to the this. It doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with this these parents to me, you know. And at this uh, point, no. At this point, yeah. And, And so, and that. That sentimentality drags on for the entire time up until Cole comes into the picture. Then you sort of understand what's going on. But I personally don't think much of this works at this point right now because I'm not on Rick's side in the in this scene here and for the next arguably like eight minutes, you know, that, that all of this lunch is going to play out. Yeah, because up until this point, Mr. Thompson is seems to be trying with Rick. Yeah, because he's like hit hit the ball easier, son. Come on, it's you know don't you don't have to kill it. Yeah, I mean <laughs> he does it again right after like don't be a dick, dude. Come on. Yeah, and and these people you know bring you into their house and and feed you and entertain you and you treat them like complete shit. Now, granted, we will find out that you know maybe it is warranted, but right now when we're watching it, I am not on Rick's side here. No, and I do find it funny, though, when Rick hits these balls over the fence, yeah, yes. it lands in their neighbor's backyard, <laughs> and, 
and it cuts to the the neighbors having like 30 balls in their backyard and in the and the husband says to the wife he's like one of these days i'm gonna burn the thompson's court to the ground this this little cutaway scene comedic gold i loved it because so the, the, the husband's like his shirt's unbuttoned and he's just kind of sitting there but i just love how nonchalantly he's like one of these days i'm gonna burn the thompson's court to the ground <laughs> i love it i was like i, I, I was like i want to know more about those guys and the, yeah the neighbors. I, know. I wanted more of their backstory yeah from here we cut to the rick and mr thompson sitting on one side of their uh, just just knowing that i've I've been there. This is like an Encino Hills home. Mm. I'm familiar with the Encino Hills homes for back, you know, in my previous life, going to these uh, rich white houses where everyone has to wear their tennis outfit or they wear their outdoor outfits and they wear their indoor shoes. and they oh. And it's so like... So I get what you're saying about Rick being rough around the edges, but at the same time, too, I'm like, oh, but I loathe this, like, old money, yeah. you know, we got this way by being proper. And you're like, yeah, but there's something behind the, there's your, the, where's your backstory? There's something kind of nefarious going on. Yeah. That's the vibe I get. So, yeah, Rick is, like, you know, trying to explain to uh, Mr. Thompson. He's like, really, you know, I have to admit, tennis is, uh, my tennis is a little rusty, but I love polo. That's a beautiful manly experience. <laughs> and Thompson's like, Rick, I want to cut through the bullshit. And he's like, I like that. He goes, let me, let me, let me tell you. I think you're an asshole. <laughs> no, an immature asshole, which is fine, except you're marrying my daughter. And I'm afraid my, ga- and I'm afraid my grandchildren are going to be little assholes. <laughs> I love, I love how he delivers these lines. And again, I'm a hundred percent behind Mr. Thompson at this point. Yeah, and he doesn't say anything terribly bad because he's like he goes, "Look, Debbie's an adult; she can do what she wants. But if you want your marriage, if you want your marriage to last, you're gonna have to change some things about yourself." If I makes, if I may make some suggestions, and Rick's like, "Feel free, please." He goes, first, you're a slob; you're dressed like a bum. Second, you're unmotivated." And then he continues. <laughs> he continues. Insensitive. <laughs> insincere. And he goes on and on and on. <laughs> to the point and where they the, cut to the, the 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 women and everything talking like for a whole scene. And then you come back and st- he's still rattling off. And that was a that was a joke that he didn't get the first time. You know, that he's basically still going the entire time that you cut to, you know, Debbie and her mom and everything. And what sells this is Rick's uh, expressions. He's like, huh? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But like, yeah. but almost like being hit in the face. Yeah. But but trying to take it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, oh. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, Debbie and Mrs. Thompson are talking about like, oh, I got the uh, the caterer from the Christmas party from last year, and and uh, and and then there's this other woman there, Eileen, played by Deborah who, Harmon. Pretty much moving forward, she'll have a cigarette in her hand the entire movie, which is like a running gag. Yeah, she she has a specific that early '80s look, you know. She she again, maybe this is the movie that started a lot of that. But she has Cliche. that yeah that that bitchy friend, you know, waspy bitch look to her, you know. With the, in the unhappy marriage, all men are pigs. Yeah, that whole thing. Yep, exactly. Look. There is always a little bit of truth in parody, right? Yeah. There is. It all comes from a place of truth, which is entertaining. Uh, her character, 
it's like the writings on the wall with with her eventually doing what she does at the end of the movie which is <laughs> yeah. really hilarious in my yeah opinion. Get, get yours girl get yours yeah and so eileen chime, chimes in she's like you know if i were you i would worry less about the shower and more about rick's bachelor party and debbie's like why i trust rick and debbie's said the cliche sweet you know, perfect girl yeah right perfect lady and Eileen's like, of course you do. I trusted my ex, Kevin, too. I can only talk from experience, cousin. What do you think they do at these parties? Have tea and play Scrabble? And Debbie's like, Rick promised. And Eileen's like, Debbie, don't be so naive. Men are pigs. And then Mrs. Thompson, being the submissive wife, why don't we go inside for lunch? Hmm. <laughs> Let's change the subject. Have some, have some food. <laughs> Calls in the boys as well and cut back to Mr. Thompson. It's still Irresponsible, going on. <laughs> vulgar, inappropriate, unrefined, obnoxious. Show some initiative. Try to better yourself. Stop showing off. You know, at blah, 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 blah. And then Rick finally is like, well, sir, that's quite a list. But you're absolutely right. And if I apply myself, I can be a totally changed person by the time we finish lunch. And I love how the dad just like looks at him for a second, realizes that nothing sank, and he's just like, sure. And they just get up and leave, you know? <laughs> he's like, we're done here. Knowing what happens to him at the end of the movie, I'm like, and yet he still went to the wedding? You're right. <laughs> true. true. Good call. Good call. Didn't put okay. that pieces together. Yeah. Sure. Uh, anyways, cut to inside the Thompson's house. I feel like I've been in a house like this. My God, it brought me back, brought back shades of my previous life. And I was like, oh, I never want to go there again. Um, yeah, Rick is uh, trying to get the dog's attention. So Rick, Rick, Rick says, we don't have Rick, a dog. We don't have a dog. <laughs> I love that. I fucking love that. And Rick's like, oh, what a waste of a good f- piece of fat. And uh, And so he takes Debbie, he reaches across the table they're having like this nice, you know, waspy lunch, and he reaches across the table, grabs Debbie's leftovers to eat. You know, everything's white. The carpets are white. Yeah, they're eating off fine china. You know, it's like it, it's very like classy. Like you, you can't just have a, you sit down at a table and have a sandwich. It's got to be like, well, we all have to sit down with our cloth napkins and you know, fancy silverware for lunch. Yeah. Or a jamwich when you jam two pieces of bread together. <laughs> yeah, so Rick, Rick is complimenting the food. After that, after he's taking the food off of Debbie's plate, uh, Eileen is looking disgusted with her cigarette in her hand, and Rick says, "Me and Debbie are going to have kids right away. I'd like to adopt a 17-year-old Korean girl I've had my eye on for a while. This pup is fertile, and I'm perfectly capable. So don't worry, you'll have American grandkids in no time." And then Rick compliments the food, and he's like, I usually don't eat like this. I usually have a jam sandwich for lunch. You know what a jam sandwich is? It's when you jam two pieces of bread together. Ha! Everyone looks pissed. You know what my note here is? Rick is exhausting. (laughs) Yes. I've had exhausting friends. Yes, me too. Suddenly, ding dong, Cole shows up. The ex-boyfriend, Cole. Billy Cole. My man. My man. And, uh, yeah, Cole walks in with his white tennis outfit on. Hi, everybody. Am I late? And I'm looking and I'm going, I know I've seen him before in this particularly, but looking at the dude that plays Cole, 
I'm like, it's Kent. It's Kent. You know, you put braces on him and he suddenly he's Kent and you put glasses on him. It's, yeah. it's awesome. And he's, he's a great Kent as well. <laughs> uh, and so Mr. Thompson's like, you know, we're going to, we're going to play tennis together. Basically is what he says. And Cole walks over and he's in, uh, he's saying hi to everybody. And he looks at Debbie and he's like, hello, Debbie. And she's like, Debbie just looks like unhappy. And Rick is glaring at Cole and Cole looks at Rick and says, and, and Rick goes bond, James bond. <laughs> and so mr thompson says so cole you how's your game and cole's like better and then debbie's like why is he here and mrs thompson goes your father enjoys his company and rick's got, rick says he took time off from his hitler youth rally and then rick takes a sip from his tea with his pinky sticking out yeah that's funny yeah that is funny. and so from there, cut to back to the tennis court. Mr. Thompson and Cole are playing tennis together, having a very lively game. Uh, at one point, actually, Mr. Thompson like almost falls over when uh, Cole hits the ball to him, which is <laughs> yeah. actually pretty funny. Yeah, they're actually putting up a bit of a game right there. Yeah. Getting sweaty. T- they are getting sweaty. And Mr. Thompson levels with him. And he's like, look, Cole, I know you're as unhappy as I am about Debbie's marriage to Rick. And he says... I don't want you to give up on her. And Cole's like, I've tried to change your mind. And so far, you're like, okay, this guy is the ex-boyfriend. Is he that bad? Uh, I don't know. We don't know yet, really. Yeah. And uh, he's and Thompson goes, it's not your mind you need to change. It's that shit for brains in there. Well, he said, no, that's, it's not her mind you need to change. Yeah, it's not her mind you need to change. It's that shit for brains in there. And Cole's like, well, how do I do that? He's like, if it me... If it were me, I'd reason with him first. Then if that failed, I'd take more persuasive action. And then Cole says, more persuasive action. It has a tennis ball in his hand, and he crushes it. Yeah, that was cool. I like that. Yes. From there, we cut to... This scene actually is interesting because it goes on for a really long time. I think you said eight minutes, and I'm like, they probably could have trimmed this a little bit more, maybe? Yeah, yeah I think so. A little bit. That's why, again, this movie's like an hour and 45. Uh, you're, you cut to Rick exiting with uh, the Thompson's house with Debbie. And they say goodbye. Eileen's smoking a cigarette. Mrs. Thompson gives Debbie a hug, and then she shakes Rick's hand. She says, nice to see you again, Rick. And, uh, and Rick's like, oh, yeah, you too. Let's do this every day. Tomorrow, I'll bring some weenies. <laughs> Mrs. Thompson says, well, I, I, ha- I have club. He says, what time is it over? And suddenly Cole walks out, puts his arm around Rick and says, Rick, let's let's talk. And he walks off with Rick while Mr. Thompson holds Debbie back and says, uh, the boys have something important to discuss. Leave them alone for a minute. Cut to Rick and Cole walking towards the his yellow school bus. Rick says, is this about the facts of life? Because if it is, I got it covered. And Cole says, Rick, I want Debbie. I'll give you cash. Rick says, what's Debbie's blue book value? And Cole says, I'll give you $5,000. Jesus. Rick says, says, so guys listening, if you've never seen this movie, you're about to hear how much an ex-boyfriend values his, the woman that he's in love with. Yeah. So he's just thrown out. He'll pay Rick five grand for Debbie. Rick says, no. Cole offers 7,500. Rick says, not interested. Cole says, all right. 
$10,000 and a GE toaster oven and a Litton microwave. GE toaster oven. <laughs> Rick's shaking his head. He goes, a Cuisinart. Rick, Rick interrupts and says, Cole, read my lips. I'm marrying Debbie. Cole says, Michelin tires and a brand new set of Sears metric tools. <laughs> Mr. Thompson and Debbie walk up. Like, Cole's desperate at this point. And Debbie, Debbie says, what's going on here? And Rick says, well, the way I see it, this lug is in love with you, and he has several major appliances. Thompson says, Cole is just trying to save you from making a mistake. Debbie goes, oh, Daddy. And Rick says, thanks, Dad. We got to go. And they get on the bus, and Cole says, he's going to hurt you, Debbie. And you'll never, he'll never be true to you the way I would. And Rick says, we'll keep that in mind. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear it for the fun guy. And he starts clapping. Dude. He's like, he's a wonderfully talented human being. Take care, babe. We love you. We love you, Cole. Cole says, hey, Rick, we're not through yet. Cole looks like he's going to cry while Rick and Debbie get on the bus and they drive away. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think this this whole chunk could have been trimmed a smidge. Um, you know, maybe just his one-liners of when you know Rick's leaving the place. Some of them don't land, but you need the coal stuff, of course. And, I like that part. Yeah, me I think too. It's funny. I like all the coal stuff. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's mostly the dad interaction with with Rick. It's I don't think the dad was annoyed enough to for me to understand what was happening, and it just didn't play the way I think they wanted it to play you know but when cole comes in cole comes into play then you're like okay i i get where we're where we stand i get where rick is standing on this one and i get it especially if the, if the dad is backing cole then yeah the dad's a piece of shit because cole's a piece of shit yeah it all makes sense to me uh well no all of the scenes like that lead up to this make sense while they're that why they're there but part of me the whole time is like you would just let the f- ex-boyfriend like hang out at the house and come over. It's yeah. so awkward. That's so awkward. That being said, I don't think that's uncommon. I think that that could happen. Yeah, I um, think that happens in in relationships where the parents like one of the, the you know the the partner and then, but yeah, it won't last though. There's no way it could last. Uh, oh my other god, than, though. But like, how awkward for Rick and and so and Debbie dealing, and Debbie. But I'm like, if I'm not, I'm not like full on Team Rick in this sense. But I am. I feel like how insecure must Rick feel deep down, knowing that Debbie's because you want your, you want the family, even if they're batshit crazy, you want them to be. They want you to like. They want you want them to like you. These are going to be your parents-in-law for hopefully the rest of your life. Do you do you want to be? this antagonistic with them you know like i get it being antagonistic with cole i wish we saw his interaction with cole before we saw the tennis match with the dad again because i'm like it makes rick look like an asshole at the beginning of this scene but by the end of it you understand i wish it kind of happened in reverse and that they were actually playing maybe doubles against cole and the dad or something like that and then he would hit you know rick would hit the ball really far because because it's Cole. He's an asshole. But Cole wasn't in the equation at the beginning of this whole scene. Yeah, I think I, I think if you changed it around a little bit like that, I think that would have made the scene a little bit more effective. Yeah. And made, yeah, yeah, made Rick actually less of an asshole. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, there you go. Well, 
speaking of not being an asshole, cut to that night. Rick and Debbie are in bed and Debbie can't sleep. And she says she wakes up Rick and she goes, I can't sleep. And Rick's like, oh, I got something for that. And he hands he reaches over and grabs a hammer off the table and raises it up and almost hits her in the head. I'm she, like, are you going to do this? Are yeah. you really going to hit her? Yeah, and, and, and Tawny catches it. Yeah. He doesn't. He catches it just in time. And she's like, stop fooling around. And he's like, well, what's the matter? She's like, I just, I feel scared. She says, about the wedding and my parents and your family and our friends and my job and the future and the relationship and the caterers and my gown and your time. And like, oh my God. My eyes started crossing when she was talking. Uh, our honeymoon, the tuxedo, and the apartment, and my shower, and your bachelor party. And Rick's like, well, how about the Middle East? You're right. You're okay with that? <laughs> and he's like, look, honey, everything's going to be okay. And she's like, before or after I have my nervous breakdown, he's like, look, it's okay. And he's like trying to reassure her. He's rubbing her shoulders. She's breathing deeply. And she's letting go, and she falls asleep. She starts to fall asleep. And she's like, oh, that feels so great. And he goes, well, it just so happens. I'm a great guy. And he goes, and very soon you're going to be Mrs. Great Guy. She yawns, and he's starting to get sleepy too, and she falls asleep. And then, of course, you know this is going to happen. It was telegraphed a mile away. He leans over, and he's lying in bed, and his eyes open. And it's a very long, extended scene with, like, saxophone playing and Rick thinking nervously. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of an awkward scene. Yeah. But at the same time, like I think she does a great job in it because it's all one take. And when she like rattles oh, yeah. off, like all the things that she's worried about, it's funny because it's a lot and, and you know, she rattles it all off and, my takeaway was like, this is when I realized the chemistry they had was great. And also that Tawny was great as well, because again, this is all one take. This is not, there's no cutting here. And uh, I actually liked it. Uh, I know what they were trying to go for and everything. And actually, I think the music was fucking terrible because it kind of like, it, it extends into the next scene too. It's like a bridge, but it's fucking horrible. Um, yeah. But I liked I like Tom Hanks and Tawny Katane in this scene. I like them together. I think they have the chemistry that I guess Kelly McGillis and Paul Reiser did not have. Yeah, yeah. No, this scene totally makes sense. It shows how much they love each other, how much they're. it's going to be all good amidst the chaos. And the chaos is just about to start. Oh, here it comes. Because you cut to the next scene. And Rick is dropping off Debbie at her parents' house. It's like, wait, we, weren't we just there? Um, dropping her at the parents' house the next day slash like, Eve, night. Evening, right? yeah, I guess so. Dusk. Yeah, dusk. Yeah, from dusk and, till yeah. dawn. And from dusk till dawn. And all, the, all of Rick's buddies are on the bus. And Debbie says, I got a great idea. Why don't I just pal around with you guys for a while? And Stan's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> And uh, and then Rick says, no, actually, we have manly things to do. And then Debbie says, you guys sure you don't want me to go? And the guys are like, no, get off, basically telling her to get off the bus. And uh, and she's like, I don't want to go. It's actually kind of a sweet scene because, yeah. you know, it is sweet. She's pouting. Rick carries her off the bus. Debbie says, remember, no screwing around, Rick. And he goes, I won't. I swear on my mother's grave. And Debbie says, your mother's not dead yet. And says, 
And Rick says, well, if I go back on my word, I'll kill her. <laughs> That's a funny line, too. I like that. It is funny. It is funny. <laughs> and I like how he tells her to have a nice shower. Use soap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he tells her to have a nice shower. Use soap. Exactly. And then, yeah, and she's like, you know, don't have too good of a time. Catch my drift, Mr. Traditional Guy. And then they kiss each other. They say love you to each other. And the guys are like, come on, Rick, let's party. Woo! And Debbie watches Rick as Rick gets on the bus. And Rick, like, has looks very concerned. And this is, like, this is good. I think these, like, little undial like, no dialogue moments, just facial expressions are important because you get the sense of Rick, like, Oh, God, I hope my buddies don't fuck up my life. Because yeah. as much as you have control of your own situation, when you are with people that are out of control, it's hard to have control. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. When you have a fucking Rudy in your fucking entourage, it's uh, it's a little worrisome sometimes. But I do think this is where Tom Hanks shines. This is what like made him a star. He can go from funny... You know, I love the the little facial expressions he makes when uh, with her when they're like kissing and being like, "Okay, I'll see you." And he kind of has this this weird smile, but it works. It all works. And then having Tom Hanks have that one moment, you know, and even though Neil's like, "What's wrong?" He's like, "Nah, nothing. It's all good." But that you know, as a viewer, you know what's going through his head. He's like, "Yeah, I have a great thing here with Debbie. Please God, don't let this bachelor party fuck it up." Is what he's yeah. thinking. Yeah, and it's so weird. And I want to go back again to O'Neal, uh, Adrian Zemed. He he like looks sweet again, you know. So I'm looking at him like I feel like he's the kind of guy that is much of a, a much of a perv as he is, or or a scumbag in in many ways. If Rick's like, look, man, I can't do this. I feel like O'Neal will be like, okay, I got you. Like it's yeah. you know, okay, I'll cover I'll cover for you, or and- I'll take your. And honestly, to back that up, it happens later with uh, with Tracy when when Rick's like, I couldn't do it. And O'Neill's like, that's cool, man. I wish I had what you had. And I I like that. I mean, O'Neill is pretty sleazy, even though he doesn't sort of look it. I do like that there is this sweet underlyingness to him. Um, maybe it's just his relationship with Rick that that makes him sweet or whatever. But I like it. His character isn't isn't as one dimensional as say Gary or Rudy is. Gary and Rudy never have any kind of like sweet moments or anything. It's only O'Neill and and Rick. You know, Gary has a sweet moment with somebody, but uh, <laughs> until turns he, pretty quickly until he yeah. finds out. Yeah. Yes. GP's standing um, up. Oh. <laughs> I can't even say that joke anymore. Anyways, um, I was thinking of the Dice Man. We love our Dice Man. <laughs> She's got a tree trunk between her legs. Oh! oh! <laughs> One of those tri- Never mind. Anyways, um, so from there, we cut to an alleyway. Oh, so so yeah, Rudy being Rudy's like, when the girls show up, and Neil's, O'Neal's like, I don't worry about it. Gary's taking care of it. And they drive off into the sunset. And you cut to Gary in an alleyway talking to a pimp with hookers. The guy playing the pimp uh, was also in a movie called, uh, he was in Richard Pryor's Moving. Yeah. He was part of the moving crew, <laughs> which is great. Because that's, it answers the door. He's he's with, uh, if, if you guys have never seen Richard Pryor's Moving, Corey and I have talked about it before. We love this movie. <laughs> it, is, it is hilarious. I'm sorry. That movie is absolute gold. One funny line after another. It is 
the comedic version of the movie Falling Down with Michael Douglas. Basically. Yeah, <laughs> I I used to, there's another one. You can probably put it with Moving Violations and Bachelor Party. It was one that I watched a lot like one summer and then I haven't seen it in 30 plus years. So oh, you gotta I, I got to go back and, and watch. I do remember a lot about it, though. It's so funny. Dana Carvey is in it. Uh, Randy Quaid, Rodney Dangerfield. Dave Thomas from uh, SCTV. It's from like Wendy's. Out of who's who? Morris Day from the time. <laughs> <laughs> Stacey Dash before she became a cuckoo head. Yeah. Uh, that's so many great characters. King Kong Bundy yep. is in it. Too. I remember that. Anyways, I totally remember that. Go check out Moving. Highly recommended. Anyways, uh, he's talking to the pimp and he's like, uh, you know, the pimp's like, I got what you're looking for. And he brings out Margot and Darlene. <laughs> Two beautiful hookers. Oh yeah, they're who, gorgeous. Who, they're gorgeous, and uh, and and Gary goes twins. <laughs> they're not because no. one is black and one is white. Yes. <laughs> um, he goes look, and he's like, oh, you'll you'll do just fine. Hiya, girls. He goes look after the orgy. Maybe we could have coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, okay, nice to meet both of you. And they start. He starts to walk off, and as he's walking away, he knocks into a garbage can and almost falls over. And he walks down the street like he's lined up the hookers for the night and he takes off, right? Suddenly, across the street, the alley across, uh, lights come on, this dark lit alley. Lights come on from a Porsche. The Porsche slowly drives across the street into the alley where the pimp is with his hookers. And it's Cole. And he says to the pimp, he goes, oh, I, I must have just missed my friend. He, he hired you guys for a bachelor party, right? And uh, the pimp goes, yeah, at the Parkview Hotel, room 1002. What about it? And Coles gets all excited. And he goes, yeah, right. Uh, well, he takes out a piece of paper. He goes, this is actually the new address. We changed our minds and decided to send the girls over to this house instead. And he takes out some cash and he gives it to him. He's like, don't tell him I sent you, you know, type of thing. Yeah, he gives him like a 50. He's like, here's a 50. I want this to be a surprise so you never saw me, okay? So I remember... I, one of my favorite lines in Spies Like Us is when uh, Chevy Chase gives the wallet to Frank Oz and he in that training scene, and he goes, there's a $50 bill in there, but then again, maybe there isn't. And he goes, are you trying to bribe me? And so is $50, in your opinion, is that still a good bribe? Well, you do need to keep in 2022? In, I was going to say, you do need to keep in mind that in 1984 – $50 was like more than double what it is now. So it's almost like you're giving away like 100 to almost $200. Like that was a lot of money back then. Um, I mean, hell, I would I'm take lie. I would take $50 in 2022. Fuck shit, yeah. <laughs> and speaking of money, if you Patreon <laughs> if, if you non-Patreon listeners are listening, uh consider signing up to become a patron. It is not $50 a month. It is a, a lot less than that. Um but at the highest tier, you can do what we are doing right now where we take a movie, uh bachelor party. Aaron Gilmer is a patron. Robert Ortiz is a patron at this level, so we're taking their movies and breaking them down. We'll break your we'll break your movie down for you at the highest tier on Patreon. If you sign up at our lowest tier, which is still a great deal, and actually we've had quite a few people sign up fairly recently. Yeah. And thank you to all our new patrons. You can listen to our exclusive content uh, like the Carpenter Factor and our wrap-ups after dark. It's just a cheap plug. So uh, <laughs> it's not going to cost you $50. Down the road it will. It'll add up to that. But it's literally like you think about I go to Starbucks on a semi-regular basis. Uh, that money 
uh, should be used for the Patreon. And I, I, will, I will tell you, your Patreon money does not go to my my Starbucks uh, coffees, <laughs> but it does help support the show. And I got to say, dude, uh, on the IMDb page, someone did the math. $50 in, so they did the math for 2021, Fifty dollars came comes out to one hundred and forty one dollars and sixty three cents. So yeah. that's a that's a pretty big, you know, tip to give somebody, you know, or, or I, a bribe money. Yeah, and especially a pimp in an alleyway. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So from here we pull up to a bus in a hotel. Wait, pull up. <laughs> so from here we pull up. The bus pulls up to the the hotel, the main hotel where they're going, and. The parking valet, you know, is waiting for the bus to arrive. Rick hands him the keys, and he's like, be careful with it. It's a rental. And the guys hop out. They're all excited, like a bunch of kids. As they're walking in, they see this big banner. It says, welcome, Miss Elkhead Beer Pageant. Rudy's super annoying, yelling for women. Screaming. In the lobby of the Biltmore. Yeah, like, it's funny at first, right? You have, Everyone has that one friend who like will just shout out something to be funny and then they keep doing it over and over because they're getting a rise and then you realize no you're not funny anymore just yeah. shut up dude just shut up <laughs> you're just Barry dude. Diamond and you're not funny yeah you're Kevin James and you're not the king of queens sorry <laughs> you're Paul Blart mall cop before he became cool um so yeah they get in this beautiful hotel and then O'Neill walks in and he, yeah, he's like, we are about to go ape shit in here. And then that's when Rudy yells, we want women like a fucking idiot. And the dudes are excited. Uh, O'Neill is trying to calm them down. He says, hold it. He's like, I got a, I have a surprise flown in someone very dear to us. And he says this to Rick, some, a man who traveled over 3000 miles, a man we haven't seen since he left town, a man we affectionately call Peckerhead. And Rick then says, oh, my God, our dad is here. I love that. Oh, my God, our dad. (laughs) And then he says, it's our chum, Brad Mullen. And the guys get excited. They look for Brad, cut to a bunch of people walking in a lobby. And there's a dude with, like, big 80s hair spiked up. And he's got sunglasses on, looking like uh, Huey Lewis if he stuck his finger in a light socket. Looking a little bit like Yahoo Serious. I'm getting Yahoo Serious vibes from him. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and he's waving his hands around. He's like, guys, guys. Like very, it's like this high-pitched voice. Uh, It's hilarious. And he looks like he's being rolled in. Like he's not, it doesn't look like he's walking. (laughs) Turns out he is being rolled in because the camera pans to this businessman. And he's like, Okay, for the last time, get off. And, and you pan the camera pans down, and he's sitting on top of this guy's luggage bag. Yeah. He's, he's kneeling like kneeling on it. It's it's. I mean, actually, that yeah, actually takes some it. skill right there. But yeah, I it's, love it. I love that. That's great. I mean, that's some funny shit. Yeah, like, to have the balls just to get on some random dude's suitcase (laughs) and it's not like the the, it's not like the carry-on suitcase that has like the bar thing it's you know how like the old school like thick plastic ones where they rolled not wide ways but thin ways you sort of pulled it by almost like a leash and so he's on the top of it riding it like a motorcycle but like on his knees like that had to take some actual skill to do that's some core work right there. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. yeah, and so he finally gets off the uh off the luggage and he's total spaz. He walks over uh 
to, to hug everybody. He sees Rick and he's like, holy shit. And Rick says, holy shit. And, uh, or the whole crew says, holy shit. And they're looking stunned to see Brad. Brad starts hugging everybody. He gets right in Rick's face. Like he's going to kiss him. They, uh, he tries to give Rudy a hug and Rudy pushes him off. And <laughs> Rick looks at his brother and he says, what's the diagnosis? And Stan says, medically speaking, he's whacked out of his brain on drugs. <laughs> probably fucking quaaludes and shit right and rick's like how you been brad and brad's like i couldn't be better this is the best i love you guys i love everybody rick says how's the wife and brad says i hate her guts i hate her guts okay and he looks all angry he goes the bitch <laughs> he says Hey, I got, I got, do you want to share this with me? And he pulls out a pill and then Rick says, he says, uh, Quaalude, that's, that's bad luck. And Brad pops it in his mouth and he's like, okay. And O'Neill says, okay, guys, let's go. And, uh, and O'Neill says, you and your wife got problems, Brad. And he, and Brad says, no, because I love you guys. And he's hugging them vigorously. And he says, I love everybody. I just want to party. And they walk up the stairs to the hotel like little boys, and they get on an elevator, and the manager stops them right before they get on. And I'm going to stop you because that this elevator area, this is uh, the Biltmore, um, but it's also the Sedgwick in Ghostbusters. This is the scene, this is the spot that I proposed to my wife uh, on um, because it's the scene where Murray Rubin, my brother-in-law's uh, grandfather uh, in Ghostbusters played the the old guy who says, what are you supposed to be, some kind of cosmonaut? And then Ray, you know, says a cockroach up on 13, yada, 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 that whole scene. Um, when you watch Ghostbusters, the shot is the same shot here. But if you notice in, in Bachelor Party, the there's a door behind them that leads downwards uh in ghostbusters they put something up so it looks like there's just a wall right there so i was surprised when i went there with my wife uh, or you know soon to be my wife at the time and i was like oh it, i never knew that it kind of kept it goes through and later when the dad actually gets to to uh the hotel and he's downstairs on the payphone. There's an upstairs where the elevators are. You can actually see upstairs. That's from the other side, essentially, of where they were. So I was like, wow, this is all the Biltmore. And I, I, I noticed that before I even looked on IMDb. And yeah, it, it is confirmed. It is the Biltmore in downtown Los Angeles. Very cool. Very, very cool. Look at you with all your dropping knowledge. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, I can't, can't pass that story up, baby. Corey's like, I'm going to do so much fucking research on Aaron's movie that <laughs> Aaron will be like, at the end, she won't even have a moment to go, guys, you didn't mention. Oh, they did cover that. Guys, you didn't. <laughs> we we try. We try to give you your money's worth on these reviews. So We try, Aaron. <laughs> Thank we hope you, you're Aaron. enjoying this and everybody else listening. Yeah. And all of you future patrons, too. Um, yeah, so the manager's like, where do you think you're going? Did you recognize that guy, by the way? Is he the boss or the head of the school on the show Coach, I think? You know, I haven't watched Coach in forevs. Uh, I want to say yes. Uh, he's, it's His name's uh, Kenneth Kimmins. Kenneth Kimmins. He's been around forever. He, Yes, he was on Coach. Yep, he's on Coach. Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Arrested Development, uh, one episode on each of those two shows. But yeah, he was on Coach Forever. 
for yeah for like eight years so that's why i think i think he was somebody if i remember correctly um because uh, his name was like howard and i can just i feel like yes. i can remember howard craig burley t. i feel like i can remember craig t nelson saying come on howard you know yeah 81 episodes he yeah. was on that show i watched the on shit the- out of that show by the way back in the day I know you love that show. <laughs> I do. Um, he was on the uh, Lois and Clark, the New Adventures of Superman, for f- fifteen episodes. Herman's Head. Yeah, Herman's Head, dude. One of uh, Fox's first shows. Yep, that's right. He was on Beauty and the Beast. Um, we should cover that show on TV Obscura. By we will. The way. We definitely yeah, will we, one day. We'll, we we'll definitely cover Herman's Head probably too. I, I have fond werewolf. memories of that. Yeah, Werewolf. That's a show that on TV Obscura we have been dying to cover literally since the inception of TV Obscura. But we heard that there was supposed to be a a an actual like you know box set coming out, and then it got nixed. Um, but we fucking we've been wanting to cover Werewolf forever. The the Fox show Werewolf. Yeah, yeah, and I just want to shout out because I love this movie. Uh, it's actually my favorite John Hughes movie. He was in Some Kind of Wonderful. He was the detention teacher in that when you meet uh, Eli Cot- Cotier. Or Co- yeah, Cot- yeah. I, my, Myra and I watched Some Kind of Wonderful. Uh, it was my first time. I think it was first first, first time, too. We watched it uh, last year, and uh, I, really, I, I really enjoyed that movie, but I enjoyed it for his friendship the the friendship between um eric stoltz and uh, elias Coteus or you know casey jones from the tmnt movie basically yeah or um prophecy he was great in prophecy by the way prophecy will pop up on podcast after dark at some point because i fucking love that movie i hope so because i saw that movie with a bunch of um, um baptists one time oh god yeah fun story about that yeah my so- days of Soul searching. <clears throat> uh, anyways, looking forward to that one, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, that's gonna be fun. Anyway, so uh, yeah, the the manager's like, you know, where do you think you guys are? Where do you think you're going? And O'Neill goes, Library of Congress. And Rudy goes, Detroit. <laughs> and Brad goes, Beyond the Sun. <laughs> of course. And Rick goes, Are any of those right? And the manager's like, This is the Parkview Hotel. I'm the hotel manager. They all start applauding. This <laughs> I is love a respect- that. <laughs> It's fun. This is a respectful establishment. We don't like funny business. And uh, and then ju- just then you see two guys with like elk head beer hats and two guys in an elk costume pass him uh, and enter the elevator as well. And Rick's like, yeah, I see what you mean. You're a hell of a guy and you're doing a hell of a job. <laughs> door slams shut before the manager can say anything. From there, the camera pans. This is very odd. It's a very odd choice. The camera pans uh, slowly uh, from the elevator to a like Greek statue, and then the camera uh, like it fades into another scene of a Greek statue at the Thompsons' home. Yeah, yeah. The the, the editor was having fun with that, or somebody yeah. was having fun with that transition. Yeah, it's a fine transition. So uh, now you're cutting to Debbie having her bachelorette party, and Phoebe from the. <laughs> clothing store is eating pota- uh, a dip in a bowl that says muffy on it by the way didn't they say they didn't have a dog no it's the cat she's oh, sorry, she, she's cat. eating purina cat chow it's that's it's, right sorry. it's they not it's not it's not just an eating dip out of it she's literally eating purina cat chow and the mom 
God, I love the mom's reaction. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. Barbara Stewart playing Mrs. Thompson, she does a really good job of kind of acting just... She's great. Just dis- just disturbed, just just unbelievable. I actually really like Barbara Stewart in this. Yeah, she's great. She's really great. And yeah... <laughs> Uh, yeah, cause, cause Phoebe's like, do you have any more of this dip? And it's really excellent. And Miss Thompson, Mrs. Thompson's like, you just ate the pre, you just ate the puree in a cat chow. And she's like, oh, <laughs> and then continues to eat. It just keeps going. Yeah. Yeah. Debbie's sitting with her friends and they're laughing. Eileen comes into the living room. I think she's still had a cigarette in her hand. Yeah. Uh, I think she yeah. always has a cigarette in her hand. She's like, what are you giggling about? And Debbie's like, well, yesterday we found a bunch of pornos in O'Neill's car. And we made a few changes. The boys will be really interested in. Ha 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 ha. And she goes, and then Eileen says, Good. I hope you ruin their stag party. That swine. And I'm like, Okay, I think we've talked about this before in previous episodes. I was never that guy who wanted to sit around and watch pornos with my buddies. That's that's my note for the scene coming up with the, with the porno. I was never one of those guys to sit around watching a porno with my guy friends. I just it doesn't. I don't get it. For for me, porn is a solitary darkness alone, you know, type of thing. I dated a girl once, and she's like. You know, she's like, do you watch porn? And I go, no, I don't. And she's like, I said, do you? And she goes, well, I only with my brother. And I'm like, what? What? (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. You can't make this shit up. (laughs) No, dude. I'm I'm editing myself. If you want to know any more details, sign up for our Patreon. You're going to have to elaborate on that one on Wrap Up After Dark for me, buddy. I will. Tamra. Tamra. Uh, Yeah. So, (laughs) anyways, cut to Rick, Ryko, O'Neal, Rudy, Larry, and Stan. Did I get them all? I got them all. (laughs) They're walking down the hallway looking for the room. And O'Neal's like, there it is. Aha. 1002. And they get in. And, he, and O'Neill goes, to our honored guest, Rick, and his lifelong friends, I say, gentlemen, start your boners. And he flings open the door, and it's boring as hell with a crappy little banner on the window that reads, happy bachelor party. And I got to say, this is such a set. It's clearly a set. Yes. And it it looks it looks kind of bad when it's when no one's in it. Like it looks clearly like a set, but when the party gets going, it's fine. It, it yeah. works. It works totally fine. It, it you don't feel like a set, but here, it totally feels like one. Yes, and uh, apparently, O'Neill blew up a bunch of condoms as uh, balloons because uh, there's a balloon, uh, like a bouquet of bouquet of balloons that are made out of condoms. <laughs> Hopefully and it wasn't the so, kind of condoms of spermicides that's all over yeah, his mouth. <laughs> disgusting. And Rick is Rick is stunned by what he sees. And, and Ryko's like, bitch in place, man. It's like one of the few lines he actually has in the movie. Again, and, fucking uh, Michael Dudikoff, completely underutilized in this film. Agreed. And O'Neill's like, I did the balloons myself. And uh, and Rudy's like, where's the women, man? We got to have women. Fucking <laughs> Rudy. Fucking Rudy this entire scene. Fuck you, Rudy. Oh, and then O'Neill's like, Rudy, one thing at a time. And Rudy goes, sex is my one thing. I'm good at it. Stan says, what's first? And O'Neill goes, a bit of a warm up. And he puts on a pulls out a film projector 
and he's got his movie, and he says, we're going to spend an hour with nymphos without pants. And guys and gals, you heard that right. Film projector. This is 1984. Uh, VCRs are on the market, but they're still expensive. They're still new. We're not going to get the VHS porn craze for a, a, a little bit of time at this point. Like, it, it's right around the corner, but still, in 1984, if you're going to watch a porno, you're going to have to watch it on a fucking reel-to-reel, dude. Like, it's, wow. <laughs> like, holy shit. As Arnold said in Predator, I believe, the good old days. <laughs> oh, the good old days. The good old days. Yes. So they're all excited to watch a porno before the real action starts, O'Neill says later. And uh, Brad's looking bummed out. And Rick is having a moment with Brad. And, and he's like, it's good to see you, Brad. And Brad says, my marriage sucks. It's just a big pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a big pile of shit. And Rick says, maybe your marriage ought to lay off the greens for a while. <laughs> Brad says, you don't understand. She hates me. It's over. As soon as you guys get married, everything changes. Why are you marrying her? Rick says, what do you mean? He's like, what changes? And Ryko hits the lights. Like a moment of reflection, right? Ryko turns off the lights. O'Neill turns the projector on. The guys are getting excited. The guys are making shadow puppets and shadow penises on the movie screen. We see uh, suddenly that that is actually a pretty funny moment. I'm like, how do you do a penis with the shadow puppets? That's cool. Yeah, I actually like that. And, of course, that was Stan. He did that one. Of course, that was Stan. Suddenly, the movie starts. You see a dude stepping out of a shower. He puts on his robe, exits the bathroom. To surprise, he sees two women, beautiful, uh, standing in, like, you know, tight outfits Rudy's super into the porno. Everyone's giggling and laughing. Suddenly, the, there's a quick jump cut. The girls are getting naked, and they're lying on top of the man. And the, the dudes are getting all excited. And suddenly, before anything happens, you immediately cut to them being done having sex. Yeah. <laughs> and O'Neill's like, what, what's going on? I can't figure this out. And suddenly, the women are like kissing his, the guy's chest. And they start slowly, like moving down, uh, like they're everyone's covered up with a blan- uh, with a blanket. They start moving down the guy's chest to give him a blowjob, probably. And then you immediately cut to the next scene, and the guys are freaking out because there's like no sex at all, right? The man had already like recovered from having sex, and Rick is everyone looks annoyed and shocked, and. Rick goes, uh, is this uh, the arousing stroll through the Vatican? <laughs> and O'Neill's like, this isn't right. And they're watching the screen, and the, the two women are, like, basically done getting dressed. And I, I do love that um, Rick, I do love Rick says, I usually don't like my filth this clean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Stan's like, where are the dirty parts? I'm a doctor. I can see things. <laughs> I can see things. <laughs> I, again, and, uh, Stan kind of low keys one of my favorite characters in, in the movie. Yeah, he's that tracks. Uh, and O'Neill, O'Neill's like, I don't get it. The dirty parts were there yesterday, but at least Gary's got the real thing in a few minutes. Like he's always trying to stay positive. Yeah, you know, everything's trying to stay positive the whole time. And then suddenly, right after that, Rudy, I think, yells out, "Women!" And then Ryko and Rudy jump on Stan, yeah. and everyone's cheering. Yeah! 
And We're men. Re- real quick, I kind of just went down a rabbit hole. Uh, as you, I was paying attention, but as you were talking, uh, I was kind of clicking on. No, you on, weren't. You I weren't know. paying attention to my breakdown. I, I wasn't you. at all because Brad, Brad, Brad Molin, Bradford Bancroft, um, he was in Three Fifteen: The Moment of Truth, a movie that yes. we reviewed. He was Whitey, which I think was the guy that sat down and was kind of quote unquote hitting on Linnea Quigley uh, when she was way. I think he had bleach blonde hair, maybe. Um, but the whole time, it, it, the whole time, I'm like watching this movie, and I'm like, why is is Brad like? Why is he familiar to me? And yes, he was in Universal Soldier, but like I haven't seen that in probably since like 95 96 no was you like, wouldn't remember him from that it's 315 the moment of truth he was one of the one of the bad guys in that one of the the gang members in that one and i was like oh fucking shit yeah he hasn't been in a whole lot but when he is in something he's really good yeah yeah he you know he doesn't have a lot but yeah he he's yeah and that was that kind of just was like it blew my mind because i was able to picture in my head what it was the entire time that i was that i was picturing you know what i mean i was like yeah, ah no, that's it so he was the one of the bad guys in 315 moment of truth 315 moment of truth uh we had a little crossover with uh two dollar late fee in that sense because the screenwriter of 315 yep. was on two dollar late fee uh really cool interview and you guys should check that out. And uh, yeah, three fifteen is an uh, an an overlooked film. And just to tease that interview a little bit, uh, a very famous producer of a legendary franchise, horror franchise, basically stole that idea and made the new kids. Yeah, Sean Cunningham. That 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 makes sense to me. Um, yeah. yeah, go go listen to our, our new kids uh, breakdown. Go listen to our 315 Moment of Truth breakdown. And go listen to the $2 late fee interview uh, with, with the, the screenwriter. Did you say screenwriter or director? The, the screenwriter, yeah. yeah. So go go check that out. Uh, yeah, there's uh that that's definitely there's a few movies that that can easily fit into either the the two dollar late fee or the podcasting after dark, uh you know uh, Venn diagram and and it's not a crossover like we did with Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. No, and that and that screenwriter's name is San Bernard, by the way, San Bernard. Yeah, uh, I mean you're gonna get you're gonna get over overlapping with these two podcasts because it's yeah. got me. It's got you. Know. you. So there you go. <laughs> Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hello! La la la. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. 
and Steven Seagal mm. is a joke. <laughs> and now, back to the show. Cut to the Thompsons' home, and Tina shows up for the shower, and behind her, Margot and Darlene show up, the two hookers. <laughs> she looks very uncomfortable. Margot, Margot's talking to Tina, and she's like, is this uh, 1381 uh, Frannick Street? And Mrs. Thompson answers the door before Tina can even speak. Uh, Margot speaks up, and she says, you know, she asks if this is 1381 Frannick Street, and and Mrs. Thompson's like, yes. And she's like, well, she's uh, she's like, oh, we're here. How nice. And then Tina's like, I'm Tina Stahl. And Mrs. Thompson goes, oh, of course, Stan's wife. Everyone come in. Doesn't realize, thinks that Margot and Darlene are, are with Tina. With her, yeah. But they're not. Cut to Cole sitting in his car in the street watching happily as the hookers go in. And he says, now she's going to see what a jerk off she's marrying. And he drives off. Like like a proper villain, just monologuing to himself, you know, and everything. Yeah, he's got a lot of those coming up. Yeah. Uh, Debbie spots Tina. And she's like oblivious to the two hookers getting all excited. She's Tina. That gives her a big hug. The hookers are watching. Debbie leads Tina into the room. And... Uh, Debbie's introducing Tina to everybody. The girls are all hugging Tina. Meanwhile, Margot and Darlene are still kind of standing in the in the entrance to the living room. And uh, Margot says to Darlene, she's like, one of these, huh? Yeah. And Darlene goes, looks that way. I, I love how they're just nonplussed by all of it. They're just like, okay, I guess this is what we're going to be doing. <laughs> yeah. And they start taking off their clothes. Uh, suddenly, Tina's handing Debbie a present. They sit and the girls are gathering around and Debbie's like getting ready to, they're, they're they're like just, you know, chatting and having their little party. And then Phoebe happens to look over to where Darlene and Margo are standing and she, and she's stunned. They suddenly all start looking over silently stunned because they see Margo and Darlene are now dressed in like leather dominatrix outfits. (laughs) Yeah. They Margo look amazing, a, by the way. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> Margot has a whip in her hand, and Darlene's holding a massage device. But you know. <laughs> We know what it's for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Darlene goes, is there an outlet around here to plug it in? And I love how all of them, like, none of them, like, stop them or anything. They're just like, uh, okay. They're, like, shocked, right? They're, they don't know what to say. And Debbie, like, points to a nearby outlet to plug in the massager. And then Margot and Darlene are standing in front of the girls, uh, the women. Darlene plugs in the massager, and they start, like, hugging each other. They turn on the massager, and they, like, start kind of, like, giving each other, like, this weird kind of hugging, like, dance-ish look. Like, they're about to make out, but they don't. It's very tame. Yeah. But they start, like, moving down from the camera, so you can't see what they're doing, but you hear the the massager go on. (laughs) And then everyone starts being, like, appalled. And they're like, oh, Screaming and shocked. Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, it's it's weirdly tamer than you think it is, but also still pretty vulgar because their outfits are are pretty pretty slender. And uh, it's good. It's all of it is good. I very much enjoy this scene. It's so funny because yeah, the girls are like, "All right, we're just going to do this." And then the women at the shower are just like, "Oh my god, what's happening?" <laughs> Cut to back at the dude's hotel. 
and they're sitting around looking bored as hell and Brad sitting in front of a TV watching a Shirley Temple movie. <laughs> oh, Brad. This and is so beautiful. He says, this, this, she reminds me of my wife. She was so young when I met her. The bitch. The bitch. <laughs> so, suddenly Gary arrives and they're like pissed at Gary. And Gary's and they're like, great job arranging the entertainment. And Gary's like, how's it going, guys? And everyone like tackles him, yelling at him. They're yeah, like, We're that the was, girls. That was We're funny. The... That was funny. <laughs> and you know We're what? It's not, it's not Gary's fault either, honestly. Like, like he gets kind of shat on right here, but it is a hundred percent not his fault. No, none of this is his fault. No, it's fucking Cole's fault. And this is funny because like Rick's pulling everybody off and he's like, everybody to a neutral corner. (laughs) Gary's like, what's going on? And Rudy's like, nothing's going on. We got no women. (laughs) And Gary's like, this place should have been wall to wall with tits by now. (laughs) Really? Yeah. He hired two. Yeah, he hired two. Yeah. (laughs) And Rick goes to O'Neill. He's like, the guy paints a, Gary paints a beautiful picture. And Gary's like, I'm going to go see what the hell's happening. I'll find out what's going on. And, uh, and O'Neill says, looks like the only one who got screwed here was you. And Gary's like, well, screw that. And he leaves. And O'Neill says, so what do you guys think of the party so far? And they start throwing sandwiches and, like, food at him. This and is pretzels <laughs> and, like, beer cans. It's It's great because... You can tell that it was a bunch of people on set throwing them because it's there's there's too much coming at him, you know. But yeah. that that's the comedy. But I do love that he catches one of the beer cans in the air, best and, moment, and mimes like drinking from it, and kind of almost looks at the camera. And you can tell it was not scripted. It was just he just caught it, and he kind of went right into that mode and drank from it. it this was funny. I like this a lot. Yeah, Adrian Zemet is funny as shit. Yeah. Like he's why that guy did. I mean, he was he was a mainstay on TJ Hooker for the longest time, but I guess he did have a pretty strong career in the '80s. I just think he's really entertaining. I mean, this is the only thing I I know him from, to be honest with you. But yeah, I'm with you. I really enjoy him in this movie, and it's it seems like this where he grabs the the beer can and pretend. That's when you can tell he's a fucking he's a comedic guy. He knows how to fucking go with it and everything. Some improv or whatever, but it's great. He's great. I really like him in the movie. Yeah, yeah, same. I'll take him uh, over Rudy any day. Right? Rick comes up to kind of defend him. He's like, well, I think you're doing a damn fine job. And they start throwing more shit at Rick (laughs) as well. And suddenly, they're surprised to see Cole enter. Enter Cole. He gets in Rick's face. He's like, I want to talk to you. And And Rick goes, ah, Cole, I don't remember ordering an asshole for room service. Cole enters and closes the door and says, I don't want any trouble. And Rick's like, oh, come on, just a little. Yeah, and, and he, this is where, where Tom Hanks yes, does you. some yes. kind of <laughs> body, body heave motion. It's almost like he has epilepsy or something, but whatever Tom Hanks is doing is gold. It's absolute gold. I think in today's day and age, after unfortunately idiots who are in politics have made like stupid mannerisms but like he used to do those funny like kind of jerking spasm movements all the time yeah which i think are hilarious it was like because it's like a dance but it's like a awkward dance and like an excited thing it's just it's i think it's funny as hell yeah yeah it's and i know i know what you mean it's like 
he's kind of making fun of physically disabled, but he's not really. It's not. But he's not. Really. He's not. He he's, like the, unfortunately, people ruin this because yeah. it wasn't like that back back then. It was just being doing a little funny I'm, dance. I'm doing a spaz thing, you know. But yeah. yeah I, I, these are the little moments of Tom Hanks that I just think are absolutely amazing in this movie. This this next segment is funny as hell because oh, Cole's yeah. like, I'm ready to make you another deal. Oh yeah, and and keep in mind, every time Cole enters the 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 formula, like the it just keeps getting worse for Cole. So just keep that in mind. It's it's hilarious. So Cole says, Cole says he points out the window of the hotel. He says, you see that down there? That's my Porsche, my prized possession. And Rick's like, ooh, everyone's looking. Rick goes, ooh, very nice, beautiful. And Rick gestures to Rudy to look out the window. And he says, isn't that a great car, Rudy? And Rudy's like, yeah, yeah, it is. Very nice. Uh, excuse me, I'll be right back. I got to go shake the weasel. And uh, and Cole, Cole says, I love that car. And Rick says, I'm very happy for you, too. And they back away from the window. And Cole says, I'll trade you my Porsche for Debbie. And even swap. And Rick goes, the car for Debbie? He goes, I mean it. The car is yours. Dump Debbie. And Rick goes, gee, guys, what should I do? The car or Debbie? Like a let's make a deal kind of thing. And this is great because I I guess it's O'Neal. Um, it's, it's what Barry and it's Stan all, all going all at the same time. Debbie, the Porsche, Debbie. And and my favorite is Stan. He is hilarious because he's literally going back and forth just without even taking a breath. And it's hilarious. I love it. Yeah. And then Cole's like confident, you know, he's walking Rick over to the window again and to try to convince him to take the car. And he's like, low mileage handles like a dream. Just like Debbie. (laughs) So does Debbie. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I love it. It's a fun. It's so funny because it's so over the top. And Cole's like, I only got the car two months ago. It's and then uh, he goes, it's got and he looks out the window again. And suddenly his car's gone. And he goes, shit, 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 my shit. car's gone. I love the way Cole says shit in this movie. It's, it's so pathetic. He is pathetic. Shit, shit. Like he's got to cry. Charges out of the room. He says, if I don't get my car back, you're dead, mister, to Rick. And Rick's like, odd. He's only been gone a few seconds, and I already miss him. <laughs> Cut to the next scene. And before I, it's a Chippendales nightclub. And I got whatever. It's all good. So I love that song, Goodbye Horses by Q Lazarus. Okay. Right? But I'll never get it out of my mind watching Buffalo Bill tuck his peen between his legs. Right. Going, yes. Yes. Right. And are are you like, going to are you? Are you going to say Wang Chung's uh, <laughs> you're never going to be able to look at it the same way with these three guys? I know it's three guys. You, I know what you're thinking. It's those three fucking dudes and their no rhythm dance, right? The non-Chippendale dancers, like yeah. the opening act? Yeah. So so y'all know what a Chippendale's nightclub is. It's, it's, it's a strip club with dudes in it, right? Primarily geared towards women back in the day. Now, you know, whatever. It's everybody. Um... I love Wang Chung. I think Wang Chung is actually a very underrated band. And Dance Hall Days is actually one of my favorite bands. I forgot that this song was in this movie. Then the song plays, and I'm like, 
You take your baby by the hand. I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Do a higher than, than, than. Right? And I'm just like, no, there's these three dudes yeah. who look like... You know those 80s fitness videos where they're trying to do those jacked up jumping jacks and it's just so pathetic? It's so bad that they have <laughs> really no funny. rhythm. It's really funny. They have no, no fucking rhythm. It's funny rhythm. as hell. Yeah, it is funny. It is funny, but in a, I think, unintentional way. Yeah, because I guess it's supposed to be sexy for I the women. I think it's supposed to be, yeah. I think it's supposed to be because they're supposed to walk in and be like, oh my God, look at their dudes but, but, and their muscles and then da da da. But it's three guys, in, it's three white guys in speedos so you know they have no rhythm and they don't and they're also doing a like a you know synchronized dance and it's it's bad it's bad it's where, where i feel like embarrassed for the three guys yeah like you know those guys look back and they're like oh like, we didn't oh, get paid God. enough for this <laughs> and meanwhile i'm just like and it's so in vice wang 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 in the dance all days oh can i block it out try to anyways debbie and her bachelorettes walk into bachelorette party walk into the strip club and debbie's like are you sure this is a good idea and eileen with her cigarettes says you know you heard what those hookers said they were supposed to go to a bachelor party debbie's like you know looking concerned and a chippendale approaches them and takes them to their table phoebe's like oh look at that guy what a hunk and Bobby's like, ooh, look at his buns. And this is, yeah, when they cut to the, in the dance hall days. <laughs> These dancers, the, the worst dance. Erin knows. Like, she, right now she's listening going, yeah, they're bad. They're it's bad. N- not sexy, Jack. Not sexy. No, it's not sexy, Jack, at all. And uh, Debbie notices her mother is, like, still transfixed by, like, the men on stage. Right? Oh, yeah. She's, I mean, because her mom is total, like, waspy and everything. So Yeah, she's like, come on, Mom. <laughs> we'll have a great time. Who knows? You might even get lucky. Uh-huh. And her mom says, Debbie. On the way to the table, they pass the bartender, Michael, a.k.a. Mark Hamill stunt double. Yeah, yeah. Good. That's a good call, buddy. Mark Hamill pre-accident. Yes, accident. yes. Yes. The bartender uh, looks at them and immediately recognizes Debbie. He finds this interesting. He picks up the phone and he dials um, to uh, somebody. You don't know who it is. Suddenly, it's he, he says, yeah, is there a Rick Gasco there registered there? He's calling the hotel. At the hotel, phone rings in, the ho- in 1002. The dudes are fighting over the phone. And Rick picks it up, thinking it's Gary. It's not Gary. It's Michael. They're they're all disappointed. And Stan says, I should have left my genitals at home. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, Michael, what's going on? When are you coming over? Because Michael never even shows up after this. Yeah, I mean, he might be in the crowd somewhere. Maybe. But yeah, okay. it's, it's weird because they kind of bill him as one of their friends here. But yeah, clearly not one of their closer friends, you know? Yeah. And he's like, I'll come right after work. He's like, guess what? Debbie and her friends just walked in. And Rick's like, no kidding. That's very interesting. I tell you what, you stay there and we'll be right down. I want to check this out. And then hangs up the phone and he's got something in his mind. You can tell he's like, we're going to go out for some air. And they say, where are we going? And Rick's like, out. And the guys start toward the door. And then uh, Brad's like, Rick, I don't think I want to go. Mm. Oh. <laughs> And Rick's like, come on, Brad, it'll be good for you. He's like, I just want to be alone. Like, I feel for, like, he's comedic fodder, I get it, but you also feel for the guy. <laughs> he's, he's still a human. <laughs> yeah, you know, 
we've all been there. You got the guy who he's either going through a breakup or maybe he's been single forever and he's around everyone who's having a good time and they're and he, and he's like depressed as hell. You feel for the guy. So and he's on drugs. And there you go. We all have somebody in, in our life that's like that. And I heard what you just said. And yeah. <laughs> and that's who I was thinking about. I know. I know. And so and so Rick's like, all right, all right. Like a father, he goes, do your homework, and you can watch TV for a half hour, then straight to bed. And then he makes a, f- a funny little facial expression. That's This is the shit that I'm loving Tom Hanks in this. Again, I keep going back to 90s and, for, uh, and, po- 90s and moving on Tom Hanks. He lost that edge. He yeah. lost that, like, I don't care attitude. Yep, yep. He just cares too much now. And this has nothing to do with – it's just the performances. It has nothing to do with who he is behind, you know, behind the camera. Like, I look at him now, I'm just like, meh, just nah. Yeah, where's where's that energy? Where's the 80s Tom Hanks energy, man? You know, Steve, uh, Steve Martin started to lose it a little bit when he was doing some dramas in the late 90s, early 2000s, like f- some of those family movies, you know. Uh, but then he got I feel like he got it back. Like the it. show he does on Hulu right now with oh, uh, Martin oh, Short. Only Murders in the Building or whatever. I yeah, haven't seen it, but I want hell, to. Man. Yeah, okay. Because he doesn't care. It's like he doesn't care. Okay. I feel like Tom Hanks, I'm, I don't know. He's it's like, I got to think about my brand or something. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I There is a devil-may-care attitude to 1984 Tom Hanks for sure. Yeah. So Brad's on the couch watching TV, and the guys go out. Cut to Rick exiting the hotel. And as they're exiting, who enters but Mr. Thompson? And he doesn't notice them. They're, they're all oblivious to each other. Mr. Thompson's uh, greeted by an Elkhead beer executive who's wearing uh, an uh, Elkhead beer hat. And, he, and the guy's like, you know, we're so glad you could come uh, as our last-minute keynote speaker. And Mr. and Mr. Thompson's like, oh, my pleasure. Always happy to help you in a pinch. Uh, excuse me, well, I need to call my service. Tell them where I am. And the uh, elk head guy walks him to a phone and they pass by the elk mascot. And, uh, and the guy's like excited. He's like, we've had some big speakers, but no one with your marketing experience. And they, he enters a phone booth and starts to dial. And he's like, well, I had to get out of the house anyways. My wife's throwing a bridal shower for my daughter. <laughs> From there, you cut to the Chippendales dancers uh, taking their clothes off. Women are going nuts. Eileen's marveling at one of the packages of the dancers, and she's got a cigarette in her hand again. Tina's enjoying herself. Uh, a dancer calls Tina up on stage, and Tina's like, at first she's kind of hesitant, but once she gets on stage, she's just freaking out and she like starts, letting it all go. She starts getting her freak on and everything. And like, I do love that. Like at first she's acting like, oh no, but then later, sort of when you see her do like a dance move on, and I'm like, oh, you can tell that this is sort of choreographed and and whatever. But I still enjoy it. I actually like Tina. Like, I like that character in this movie. I think she's fun. Um, I just never, you know, you never, you didn't see that much of her in Back to the Future. Uh, although that's where I always remember her from. But she's got a lot of energy in this movie. And she's a lot of fun in this film. She's great. Like, it's such a shame that she passed away at such a young age. 47? Yeah, shit, dude. I mean, dude, I'm 46. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, it's such a bummer. But she was so talented, and if you guys have never seen Bosom Buddies, that's some comedy gold there. Yeah. What a great concept. I know people, you can't make Bosom Buddies in this day and age. <laughs> uh, 
No, but you know what? But who cares? Like, At some point, we will get back to the point where we can make bosom buddies. You could do it again. You know? Who gives yeah. a shit? Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Rah, Whatever. Rah, anyways. Rah, 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 rah. Anyways, cut to uh, the kitchen of the <laughs> Chippendales <laughs> nightclub. Um, it's it's Rick and O'Neill and Ryko and uh, Stan and Michael. So a couple things. Gary... Gary's out doing his thing, getting new new hookers. Yep, Gary. Gary's um, Gary's kind of like out for half of the movie, and then he's in it for the second half. Yeah, and then Brad's at home uh, in the hotel, you know, watching Shirley Temple movies, and then uh, Rudy is out working on a doing something. Oh, that's yeah. I'm happy that Rudy got a side thing to go take care of. So that he wouldn't, he, he's, yeah, it makes him kind of not be in the movie as much. Yeah, this is great. I actually, I love it too. Uh, Michael's there too, the bartender. Remember him, Mark Hamill? Yeah. And uh, so Rick says to Michael, he's like, so will your friend do this or what? Or, and uh, Michael's like, well, he'll, he'll do anything for money. <laughs> and Rick's like, I love his attitude. And th- next thing you know, he says to O'Neill, he's like, are they still out there? And O'Neill's checking peeks through the like kitchen door and we see that you know Debbie and the and the shower girls are whooping it up and getting all excited they're going crazy uh as Tina is like really going crazy yeah this is when she's like putting her leg up throwing her hair back and you can tell it's choreographed but you can also tell that she can dance you know what I mean like you can tell that the actress can dance yeah yeah and O'Neill's like uh uh he says I don't believe this he's like and he sees Tina pulling off the loincloth of one of the dancers. And uh, Stan's like, Stan sees this. He's like, I don't believe this. What is she doing? What does she think she's doing? You know, Neil says, maybe she's checking for a hernia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after they see the action going on outside, uh, they cut back to Rick with the gang in the kitchen. And Rick says in like in a pirate voice, he's like, so they want action. eh? are you with me, me hearties? And suddenly Michael comes back in the kitchen with this guy, Nick. Nick the dick. <laughs> he introduces Nick to the group. He goes, guys, this is Chippendale star attraction, Mr. Nicholas, better known as Nick the dick. <laughs> I like Nick... Nick the dick. I think he's funny. Oh, so that guy, um, I only recognize him from Lady Chatterley's Lover. Okay. Okay. Good for you. Good for you. Um. He looks like he'd be like a play, a play, uh, playgirl model. Yeah, he does. He's a good-looking dude. Not gonna lie. That movie came out in 1981 with Sylvia Cristel, I believe. No, no, no. That was another one. Young, young lady, Chatterley Two. That's what it was. Uh, that had Adam West in it, by the way. And real quick, uh, his name is Brett Baxter Clark. And he was in Malibu Express, which is, uh, you know, a, a Sedaris film. Uh, so it brings and our ties. To yeah, and which brings our ties to uh, Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Yep. And Young Lady Chatterley 2 also had Sybil Danning in it. So Okay, okay. There you go. You're <laughs> there, anyways. There you go. There you go, my friend. Right now, right now, Aaron's going. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. But I I've will. I will throw out the fact that he was one of Khan's crewmates in uh, the Wrath of Khan. So, 
Oh yeah, cool. Right on. Yeah. So yeah, Nick, uh, Nick the Dick is known for this because he drops his pants and shows off his giant wang from the waist up. Uh, you you hear a thud when he <laughs> yeah. does, and all the guys start applauding. Yeah. I like that. Uh, and Rick goes, personally, I was impressed when they opened the World Trade Center, but this is a piece of work. Let's get this thing going. <laughs> and so there, he has a tray of food, and on the tray is a hot dog bun. Rick hands uh, the hot dog bun to Nick and says, uh, he goes, and now Nick, or is it Mr. Dick? And Nick goes, just Nick. And Rick Nick. goes, Nick, uh, do you want to do the honors? Basically to put his dick in the bun. He holds the tray with one hand. With the other, he reaches uh, to the bun and places his dick, and you hear a thump on the tray again. <laughs> and he goes, Nick, the rest is all yours. Nick says, gentlemen, and he excuses uh, himself. I love As this does, <laughs> he does. Oh, this is fantastic. This is yeah. uh, al- almost as, this is as, this is as good as uh, the movie Diner where Mickey Rourke sticks his dick through a uh, hole in the bottom of popcorn, and he takes ah. his girl to the movie theater, and she's reaching for the popcorn, and she reaches his, grabs his dick, gets all offended, and he's like, I was just so excited. It just burst through the bottom of the box. <laughs> it's a really ah. funny scene. It's one of the best scenes in the movie Diner, by the way. Um, yeah, so he from there, he f- goes to the women's table. The guys are watching uh, as this is happening from the kitchen. And he goes, ladies, if you'd like to serve yourselves. And he's like giving them, uh, they're taking food off of his tray. He's making his way down the group of women who are like all in a line watching the uh, the stage. And he, they're taking like, you know, tacos, little, little sandwiches here and there. And then he gets to Mrs. Thompson, lastly, and she grabs the hot dog. And she goes to grab the hot dog. And she can't pull the hot dog off the tray. It doesn't come and she off goes, the tray. Is this the foot long? And he and says, like, and, and then, then some. some. <laughs> yeah. We both she keeps like grabbing Nick the dick, it, dude. <laughs> it won't come off. And then she's pulling on his dick. He's like kind of lunging forward a little bit. <laughs> he's being tugged on. It's so great. Such and a he's great just kind of smiling. And then she doesn't let go. She, she can't won't let, let go. go as if her hands are glued to it. <laughs> <laughs> and this scene is great. And she just finally like realizes what's happening and she screams, right? But she can't let go. No, she can't. Even Debbie comes over there trying to fucking get her hands off. She goes, Mom, let go. And the mom's just like jerking it. And I love how even fucking Dr. Tina Gasco's like, Yeah, I jerked that cock, you know? <laughs> She's like, yeah, yeah. So and, and this is, fa- I mean, this is just fantastic. This is just, this is the kind of comedy that you want from this movie. I just really fucking wish the way that she was jerking it, that just someone shot a little bit of like, you know, ranch dressing and just kind of hit her in the face with it or something. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> she's jerking funny. the shit out of it. But that would have been. That would have been in a Farley Brothers comedy in the early 2000s, late 90s, right? But you, like yeah. you said earlier, you need this comedy first 
to like so her like at the time i mean this is this is like sleazy and funny right but then that's when you know 10 20 30 years later farley brothers come along they do something more graphic but this is where the that beginning sort of starts in these kind of movies you know oh yeah totally this is the the precursor for everything this is the yeah. benchmark right yeah this scene yeah. is probably the the most famous scene in the movie it's and it's for right rightfully so because it's fucking fantastic yeah, it's it's great. And Eileen at this moment spots Rick and his crew watching uh, the dudes from the kitchen. And then when she when they notice that she sees them, they skedaddle out of the scene as fast as they can. From there, we cut to a bunch of hookers on a street and Gary's walking by them and he's like, ladies, ladies, how much? And one of the hookers says, talk to our pimp. Or talk to the pimp. And he sees a pimp with his back turned. And he walks up to the pimp and he goes, let's talk. And the pimp turns around and he's an Indian man with a very thick accent. It's, yeah. And I I know you don't want to, like, do it. And and I understand why. But all, and it's his, he's played by an actor named, just just named Samant, uh, Samant, um, He's fantastic. I yeah, I love this pimp. He plays so Raja. Much. Yeah, I like, like I love hey, him bro, so much. What did he? <laughs> and Gary goes, "You're a pimp. You look like Gandhi." He's like, "That's what I'm telling you, man." <laughs> he goes, "I'm telling you, I am, Joe." He goes, "I want women." He goes, "That I got. Very <laughs> good got. women. <laughs> they sit on your face. Anything you want." <laughs> I love and him so Gary's much. like, "I'll take some. How much?" He's like. Big hassle now, bro. Soon they go to customers. He's like, well, I need them for a bachelor party at the Parkview Hotel. And he goes, that would be out of sight, dude. Customers in same hotel. I tell you, I'll let you have them at the cut rate price of 45 minutes. And Gary goes, sold. 45 minutes, no problem. Oh, I didn't put that together when I was watching it, that he already had something lined up with the, the Japanese businessmen. I mean, I know that that's where they the other party lands. Um, okay. I didn't realize yeah. that, that he had that already lined up. So, you know, that's, that's good writing. Okay, great. Yeah. Solid. Right. And then Raja goes, not one minute longer or milt will come for you. And Gary goes, milt. And they cut to a giant dude, bearded biker guy who just smashes his head through a window. Yeah, Milt is a big dude. He's played by John Bloom. Uh, he's been in The Great Outdoors. He's been in Star Trek VI. Uh, he kind of like, sometimes he'll play like monsters and, and whatnot. Um, yeah, he's he's a tall-ass motherfucker. Yeah, and, and Raja goes, pretty heavy dude. Girls back in 45 minutes or Milt cuts your balls off. Fair enough? shake and they shake their hands and then as gary walks off he goes i just bet my balls and shook on it (laughs) (laughs) cut to the rest of the guys are piling back out on the bus at the hotel they get into the hotel room there uh rick's looking for brad he checks the living room he's not there he checks the bedroom he's not there goes into the bathroom opens it and when he finds Brad. Brad is on his knees with his head inside the tub, dunking it in a pool of water in the bathtub. Rick pulls Brad out of the water. He's like, what are you doing? Brad's gasping for breath. Brad goes, I'm killing myself. (laughs) Rick 
unplugs the tub and it begins to drain. And he's like, look, your wife and you and your wife can work it out. The water's draining out of the tub. He's like, Brad, marriage is dicey. People say things they don't mean. And he's like, no, Rick, I don't care anymore. She hates me. I want to end everything now. He takes a big breath and plunges his head into the tub, but there's no more water in there, so he thud, thud bonks his head Bonk. on the tub. Rick goes, are you all right? He goes, yeah, pain is such a rush. He's like, look, is there is there anything I could do for you? He goes, no, this is this pain is fabulous. There could be some major damage here. <laughs> Cut from there to, unfortunately, your boy Rudy at the hotel gift shop in the lobby. And Rudy, this is so stupid. Just He's eating like, candy bars. What, while an old lady's like feverishly, the, like feverishly, like he's some kind of monster maniac just consuming candy bars left and fucking right, dude. Like he's ripping them open, taking a bite, putting it back on the on the on the rack. Yeah. Ripping on the other one open, taking a bite, putting it back on the rack and his nose. He's got chocolate all over his nose. He's disgusting. He's fucking disgusting. disgusting. He's he's I hate him so fucking much. <laughs> but then he sees Cole at the hotel and he's like, hey, man. Check out your car. It's beautiful. <laughs> Cole's like, where is it? He's like, outside. Cole runs outside. When he runs outside, he starts saying shit, 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 shit. again. Well, did you notice when he runs outside, he does a slide on like the sidewalk as, he, as he's like coming to a stop? And I'm like, that's a concrete sidewalk. And he slides a solid like two and a half feet. I'm like, that's did impressive. they like put something down or was that like improv I don't know. It's got to be improv. It's it's got to be because like yeah, why would you just take take the time for that? But yeah, yeah. It's, it, yeah. Then I do love how he just starts going shit, shit, shit. <laughs> he sees his car and it's now been like totally pimped out. It's uh, it's all repainted. It's it's like all stylized. Flames Basically on the looks side. Looks like a lowrider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's all decked out, and uh, there's you know, it, it's it's got a horn now that does the la cucaracha. When it goes off, <laughs> Cole is just like so pissed. He gets in the car, slams on the steering wheel in, in disgust. Cut back to the hotel. And now O'Neill and Rick are coming into the hotel room again. And I'm like, where were they? Yeah. Yeah. That you can tell something was sense. maybe cut right there. Yeah. Rick's like trying to be supportive to O'Neill. He's like, I'm having a good time. And Rick's like, come on, don't make such a big deal out of it. And they look around. And there's no one in the living room. He's like, where the hell is everybody? And suddenly Gary and the hookers jump out of nowhere yelling surprise. Gary says, you know, the, the team bus just pulled in to get down and it's a party. O'Neill pulls out a camera, starts taking pictures. Stan has a hooker on his shoulders and he yells out and he's like yelling. He's got like the, the hooker's dresses over his head when he yeah. does that. He he's pulls... like, hookers, hookers. Stan loves hookers. He just, he, he doesn't <laughs> love women. He loves hookers hookers yes and everyone's excited but rick looks concerned yep because now he's like ah shit okay now shit got real but for me the note is finally it's a party and i do like how 
I would have been disappointed if this entire movie was like the party never sort of happened and it kind of kept stalling out from this movie's almost two halves. Now, the second half of the film, uh, probably less than half of the film, it's probably about 30 minutes left, but yeah. now it's a full-on raging party. I can see why they had to build a set because they're going to fucking trash it. And uh, it's this is awesome. And it, it just grow, it keeps growing, too. It does. It does. And we cut back to the Thompson's house in, like, the bedroom, and all the women are getting... Uh, like dolled up basically to go out looking kind of like hookers a little bit. But Mrs. Thompson is still in a state of shock. And she's like, I had his wiener right in my hands. It's a strange wang right in my hands. <laughs> and and like, Eileen's like, I told you men are pigs. I saw them standing there. And Phoebe's like, what a gross thing to do. And uh, Tina's like, if, if I, if I find Stan, I'll kill Stan. If I find out he's been screwing around, I'll kill him. And she puts like a wig on her head and Debbie says, kill. I just won't get married. You with us, mom? And they cut to Mrs. Thompson. She's like a strange wang right in my hand. <laughs> I love Mrs. Thompson. <laughs> She's done for the night. She's done pretty yeah. much. And Tawny Katane looks great, by the way. And that she white sure does. halter bustier or whatever, you know? Yep. Yep. Uh, back to the hotel. Rick's answering the door and uh, a bunch of women are at the door, including Ginger Lynn. It's the band. The band says, O'Neal sent us. And Rick's like, oh, everybody's busy in bedrooms right now, but come on in. Make yourself at home. And the all-girl band walks in with some dude. I think he's like their roadie or something. Yeah, yeah. You don't see much of him. Cut to them p- performing the song, uh, Why Do Girls Like Bad Boys? Why Do it's, Good Girls Like Bad Boys? Why Do Good Girls Like Bad Boys? It's a very like, doo-wop kind of 50s style. Yeah. It's not my favorite song in the movie. I mean, no, it's it's Fine. not my favorite song, but I do find it enjoyable, and it kind of harkens back to something you brought up in Tough Turf, how back in the 80s at this time, like with Jack Mack and the Heart Attacks and everything, there was like... This this fifties style happening and everything that there was some some actual like clothing style from the fifties was was sort of big uh, at yep. the time and then the music style from the fifties which makes sense because we are also now over thirty years removed from the eighties and we have a nostalgic love for the eighties but in the eighties they had a nostalgic love for the fifties it's nostalgic nostalgia always happens you know what i mean everything just always moves backwards like that but yeah so here this totally fit now for me in my understanding of it maybe when i was younger i didn't quite understand it but like having that discussion that you and i had on tough turf helps me being like helps me put this into context now yeah totally totally it it all tracks it all makes sense and it's a great dance scene i mean this is where it's a lot of fun this is where the the gifts of um, Tom Hanks dancing on the stage and dancing on the piano, doing his whole cha cha la la dancing, and, and like, when he does the alligator and they all fall down, like that's a lot yeah. of fun. Like I love all of that shit, man. It's not strange behavior dance scene, but it's it's a fun one nevertheless. Yeah, nothing compares to strange behavior, aka nope. dead kids. Exactly. But the party's taken off. Yeah, it's a full-on rager at this point. Full-on rager. And uh, Stan comes out of the bedroom looking all disheveled, and he looks super happy. Walks over to Rick, and Stan's like, thanks a lot. This was the best. You're next. And Rick's like, no, not yet. Look, uh, look, my older brother, I need some advice here. 
What's the deal with marriage? What can I expect? And, and th- this is when he Stan launches into the the most dis- depressing fucking description of the first like five or six months of marriage. Yeah, and this is this is like eighties writer who's unhappy. Yeah, so, or what what they think it would be funny. But come on, guys. So Stan Stan says, "Well, the first month is great. Second month, things calm down a bit." The third month, you're looking through old girlfriend's phone numbers. And, and real quick, I do like he, he he's still dancing in between like what he's saying and everything because yeah. he's still kind of partying. But Pretty he's also but he but he's kind of also still imparting this wisdom on his younger brother. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he's like, by the fourth month, you're numb. <laughs> by the fifth month, well, hopefully the football season starts. <laughs> by the fourth month, you're numb. Like what? Month the four. Fuck? Yeah, and, and Rick's like, thanks, Stan. You've been a lot of help. Stan pats Rick on the back and dives into the festivities. My, my, my note is his breakdown of the first few months is horrifying. Horrifying. There's a knock at the door. More people are coming in. Party's just getting crazier and crazier. More people are just piling into the house. Suddenly, Gary is talking to a hooker, and he's like, what can I get for 25 bucks? And the hooker says a, a pogo pump, pogo swirl pump with an underground hammer. <laughs> Carrie says, whatever happened to hand jobs? And she walks off. Suddenly, he sees a woman across the way. Possibly a man? We'll find out. <laughs> I mean. uh, looking very manly. And it's like, you know, the, the music almost stops in his mind. Cue like Dreamweaver from Wayne's World when he sees Kim Basinger for the first time, Garth, right? Yeah. And they see each other. They take each other by the hand and they walk off into the bedroom. She looks a little bit like Marilyn Monroe. And well, that's the with thing. With a five o'clock shadow. Right. So, so yeah, it, it, it she, uh, he is a cross dresser. Famously, what is. Sh- thing was that he would play like i think famous 50s style you know actresses and and whatnot yeah yeah there you go with the uh marilyn monroe yep definitely has that vibe they go into a bat they go into a bedroom and door closes cut to o'neill uh singing an original song with his shirt off looking all chiseled and oiled up and manly and when i'm uh, watching this i'm like why are they giving that to him but you saying that he had a bit of a musical performance career or whatever as well as an acting career okay makes total sense to me now yeah i think his song the song he's singing actually is my favorite one in the movie yeah it's a lot of fun next to to dance all days yeah he's doing a great job song yeah yeah and then you know of course rick is going nuts jumping around um dancing like a maniac o'neill is yeah the song is like i fell in love with a little demon i think is the name of the song or i fell in love with a demon or something and um rudy fucking rudy sucks he approaches two girls on the couch dude hold on i fucking hate this scene so two girls are sitting on a couch with a bowl of popcorn in the middle rudy collapses into the bowl of popcorn Eats it like kind of like you know his face goes well, he, fucking into it. He eats it like a pig. He eats it like a pig, and he kind of moves back, drinks some beer, kind of looks at one of the girls, and then spits it all over her as he falls backwards. This was the nail in the coffin for my unbridled hatred for fucking Rudy. Terrible. Yeah, when he sprays the beer in the girl's face, I'm like, come, you suck. You're dude. such a piece of fucking crap, dude. Uh, the Adrian Zemed song, by the way, O'Neill singing, it's called Little Demon. Okay. 
I, I dug it too, man. I really dug it too. And it's produced by Rick Derringer, who does uh, rock and roll hoochie coo. Okay. That's Rick Derringer. Yep. And yep. also sings the theme song to Hulk Hogan. You know, I am a real American. Yep. Fight for what's right for every man. Yep. I know that. Fight for the right. I mean, when that hit. Back in the day, 84, come on. That's when Hogan was on fire. Fuck yeah, I know that song, When that song, song bro. hit, and he walks down the aisle, whoo, you know, with his bandana on his head, and oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's that, that one. Feel strong, that okay. one and Anyways, Shawn Michaels songs are, are my two favorites. Just a sexy boy? I'm a sexy boy. I'm not, not your, your boy, boy toy. toy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think I'm cute. I know I'm sexy. I drive all the girls wild. I love Shawn Michaels. Oh man, it's good shit. Uh, yes. Yeah, so so, yes. That Rudy. Rudy sucks. Sucks. And uh, O'Neill looking like a, a hunky guy. Cut to Rick going in the bathroom and finding uh, Brad trying to slash his wrist with an electric razor because he can't find any razor blades. He's like, well, it won't kill you, but your what do you say? Like your wrists will be like smooth and like kissable or something like yeah. that. At least your smooth, at least your wrist will be smooth and kissable. <laughs> and he smacks the razor out of his hands, and he's like, "What's the matter with you?" He's like, "Go out there and have a few laughs." And he got there, have Brad, s- like, yeah. Then he, I like how like like he fucking thinks about it. And he starts, ah, starts doing this laugh or whatever. And Tom Hanks is like, or Rick's like, "Go have fun first, and then laugh." And then he fucking thinks about it, and he starts laughing again. This is my favorite. Uh, wait, is his name Barry? No. Um, Brad. Brad. This is this is my favorite Brad. I like this. I like his weird fake laughing. So much fun. So much fun. He pushes Brad out into the party to go have a good old time. And then there's the this bathroom has two doors, right? And so uh, he throws them out into the living room from the one bathroom door. The other bathroom door leads to the bedroom, and in comes Gary. And Rick's like, how we doing, big stallion? And <laughs> Gary's looking super happy, and Gary goes... Rick, I really think I'm in love. I'm talking marriage, kids, the whole thing. And Rick's like, I'm happy for you. Uh, name your six kids after me, okay? And then Rick leaves. After he leaves, Gary's walking to the mirror, looking in the mirror. He's like, this time it's real. She's wonderful. And then the woman enters the bathroom, closes the door. They look at each other fondly. Gary like kisses her gently on the hand and she walks over to the toilet, lifts the toilet seat, hikes her dress up and starts pissing in the toilet. Pee standing up. Pee standing up because she's a man. <laughs> His jaw drops. Gary's dream girl is now a guy. And I like and how she goes to leave and she's like, but I also work on. Uh... <laughs> she goes, she looks at Gary. She goes, the name's Tim. I'm always available. He blows a she Tim blows a kiss and starts to leave and then turns back and says, oh, by the way, I also do engine work on BMWs. You <laughs> work on BMWs. <laughs> and so Tim leaves and there's like this pause beat for a second where Gary, yeah. I guess it takes him a second to for it to hit him. And then he just starts screaming and ripping at his T-shirt and. If it wasn't for the fact that he started ripping at his T-shirt, like, that's what sold me, that he rips his, his tidy-whitey T-shirt off. That's what I thought was fucking hilarious. 
it's so funny and it and it's like uh the scene in ace ventura when he finds yeah. out that <laughs> and cue the crying game music yeah um because it, it's the same kind of deal he's just like scrubbing himself vigorously like like you know just like he's in pain uh he cut to brad looking at a bunch of drugs like cocaine and pills on the counter and <laughs> getting ready to have a good old time and then he gets up on the on the table or on the piano that Rick was on earlier and he's dancing and it's clearly a stunt double. Cause he's like doing a whole dance routine, but it's a really bad stunt double. I was going to say you're using air quotes when you say he got up on the uh, piano because yes. it's a stunt guy or a dancer guy with a bad wig. That's supposed to be like his hair. Yes. It's really bad. Now you cut to Ryko and Stan cause Stan already got laid. So he's good. Yeah. So, so cuts to them at like in, in their, a car at a barn at a barn i was like oh for, for so first time i watched this i was super fucking high didn't didn't bother me didn't notice it but here i'm like that's just it was so weird that all of a sudden they're there you know what i mean there was even no discussion or whatever like i needed a shot of stan like tapping Ryko and be like let's go we got to do time our to thing yeah. you know but yeah no they're they they cut that i guess and now they're they're just here and i'm like oh Okay, sure. I mean, I'm I'm along for the ride, but yeah, it's 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 definitely pigeonholed. But I I mean, we're already at an hour and forty five minutes at a total runtime. Do we really need a twenty second shot of you know? I guess Stan asking Ryko to go. You know what I mean? Do we really need that? Yeah, I, I feel like. I mean, did they need the scene? They didn't need the scene. Yeah. It's funny what ends up happening, but they didn't need the scene. Actually, I would have been okay if literally we never saw this or them sort of talking about how they're just getting the walked dunk. in with the donkey. literally just walking. In. I would have been just as fine with that as I am with this. And you probably could cut out two and a half minutes. Yes, because essentially this is exactly what happens. They, they, they're at a barn. Ryko and Stan are standing looking at a donkey. Uh, they're excited. And then they're like, this is going to be great. She's going to have sex with a donkey. And immediately you cut to Cole, who's now dressed up in camouflage, walking up to the hotel. He's got a, a bag over his shoulder, something in it, crossbow, wink, wink. Cut back to the hotel, and Brad answers the door but to the hotel room. Looks like to prom, possibly? Yeah, prom. Yeah, like prom kids or maybe people from a wedding. And as they're walking, he goes, drugs to the left, hookers to the right. <laughs> yeah, drugs to the left, hookers to the right. Exactly. And they split. And it's like half the group goes in one direction. The other half goes in the other. O'Neill's taking photos and everybody. It's just, the party's just going wild, right? O'Neill is hella sweaty, too, by the way. Yeah, O'Neill is super sweaty with his like little uh, headband around his head, looking all like party boy. And he approaches Rick. And he goes, Rick, I'm concerned. And Rick says, about what? He goes, this is your bachelor party. You haven't had sex with anyone yet. And Rick's like, that's not true. I've had a bunch of sex tonight. I'm fast. You haven't seen me. I had it twice. He's like, I got something you can't resist, O'Neill says. Do you remember Tracy? Remember how crazy she was about you? I called her up and I told her you were about to be put on the unavailable list. She decided to come over and give you a little something. And Rick's like, ooh. And O'Neill says, Right in there, pal. And he points at the bedroom. And Rick goes, wait, uh, Tracy's in the bedroom? O'Neill, this, this, this is a gift. How, how can I turn this down? And O'Neill says, I, you can't. 
And Rick says, okay, I will. If I'm not in a, if I'm not out in a half hour, send for the paramedics. And O'Neill goes, that's the old Rick. <laughs> Rick enters the bedroom. It's dark. But when he walks in, he says hello, and he sees Tracy walking toward Rick. Fucking Monique Gabriel, dude. And Holy fucking Christ. Ready to just go at it. She says, Rick, tr- take me, please. So, so I mean, and then they're going to use her in a little bit, but, like, this is this is what we talk about when we're, like, the women in this movie are kind of sort of treated like just objects. At least some of them are. Because, like, Tracy isn't a hooker, technically. But no. yet, she has no agency over her life whatsoever. And clearly, she's just waiting for, for, for Rick. But, I mean, all of that's moot. It doesn't fucking matter. Because Gabriel, fucking Monique Gabriel is a fucking smoke show. She's a fucking 11 out of a 10. It's insane. And what happens next is actually funny. Yeah, it's actually really good. (laughs) Rick Rick is like, uh, you know, starting to kind of like fantasize slash freak out when he sees her because she's now take she's take her. She's taking her clothes off totally naked. Full frontal, by the way. Yep. And but he visions uh, Debbie's head on top of Tracy's face. And the the, uh, the kind of overlay is actually pretty good. Yeah, it, it's, it's not bad. It's, yeah, it looks good. Yeah, for 1984, then, uh, not bad. Yeah, right? And he shakes his head and because uh, Debbie's now saying, as Debbie, who has Tracy's body, says, you promised me, Rick, you promised me you wouldn't make love to anyone else. Rick is like shaking his head, wipes his eyes. Now Debbie's face is gone. He moves towards her again and all the like bus kids are standing around him like saying, go for it, go for it. And, and you can tell they filmed it with those kids when she wasn't there because it's from her perspective. Like she's not in the shot at all. Yeah. 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 No kids because they're like the filming of this because they're like 11 years old. Yeah. Or younger. And then he looks back at Tracy and now the sister Mary Francis, the nun's head <laughs> is on top of the body. And she goes, don't go back in your word, Rick. Be true. Be strong. Then that face disappears, and Rick's like, I-, I can't do it. And then suddenly, it's Tracy's face becomes Stan's face. <laughs> he's like, and Stan's like, he's you like, nuts? What are you Look nuts? At Look at my tits. tits. <laughs> They're perfect. <laughs> and they are. <laughs> and then Debbie's face appears on Tracy's again. Don't, Rick, don't do it. Right. And then Rick's like, I can't do it. I love Debbie. And he runs out of the room. O'Neill's waiting outside the bedroom. And O'Neill's like, how'd it go? And Rick goes, put it to you this way. If she can't walk, then I don't know my business. And, and he goes, O'Neill, I-, I just lied. I'm sorry. Nothing happened. I can't do it. I love Debbie. I made her a promise. O'Neill says, hey, I understand. To be honest, I love you. And I'm envious. I wish I had someone who was in my life. Someone I could spend my time with and really respect. <laughs> he goes, Someone I could spend my time with and really respect. <laughs> Look at the cans on that bimbo. Gets distracted and walks away. Yeah, that was funny. And, it's you know, actually, I love it. I, I, I like that too. But we, I mean, that that is goes back to what we were talking about. Like O'Neill, I think you know he is a party guy and everything, but he loves his friend, and I think he does understand here. Like I do really think he does. He but does. at the same time, he's still a young twenty-something asshole, and he's like, "Oh look, <laughs> fucking bimbo with giant tits," you know. The cans on that bimbo. <laughs> Cut to Cole now entering a hotel room, a hotel room that is directly across from the hotel that Rick is at. 
He goes, sits on the bed of the hotel, looks out the window at Rick, opens up his bag, which has a crossbow in it, and he places an arrow into the crossbow. So his plan is to kill Rick at this point? Now he just wants to kill him. Wow. he's out of his mind. Yep. Because he's lost his car. Yes. Uh, so he's targeting Rick and then cuts back to the door opening at Rick's hotel suite, 1002, and in walks Raja. Raja. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and he goes, I'm looking for this dunghead who took my women. He's being a liar to me. I want my bitches back. <laughs> I, by the way, I love that he's being a liar to me. <laughs> I love Raja. I do. I think he's great, man. So suddenly, cut back to Cole. He's got Rick in his crosshairs. Pulls the trigger on the shot. Misses Rick. But the, but the arrow goes right into the wall next to Raja's head. Raja goes, holy shit. I'm going to get milk right now. I'm going to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I love Raja. Get the fuck out. He knows he what's up, out. dude. <laughs> runs out. And then Rick and O'Neal walk up to where Raja was. And Rick goes, who was that? And O'Neal's like, I don't know. And he looks at the arrow and he goes, what's this? And O'Neal goes, got me. Just another. <laughs> and right as they say that, another arrow comes zipping through the room and hits the right next to the other arrow. And Rick goes, how about this? <laughs> I like that. I love this. <laughs> And then O'Neill says, still drawing a blank. They turn in the direction of the arrow and they look out the window and they spot Cole loading his bow in the wet in the room. And Rick says, hey, he looked familiar. And very and O'Neill goes, very. And Rick says, come on, get the hookers in a circle. We better put Cochise out of business. <laughs> From there, he cut to the lobby of the hotel and Debbie and her mother. Yeah, her mother's still there. And the girls are entering the lobby and Debbie, they're looking like. They're looking like hookers. So yeah, and, and that's, I mean, they're supposed to be. That, that's what they're trying to yeah, do. Yeah, costumed hookers. Yeah, yeah. And Debbie's like, I can't believe we're doing this. And Tina's like, if Stanley's here, I'll rip his guts out. Yeah, and the only thing that kind of sucks is Tina, she's a more full-figured actress, and so they kind of cover her up. I, I think she could have pulled off something a bit more sexy, to be honest with you. I really think she could have done that. I think they. I think she did in *Bosom Buddies*. I feel like her and Donna Dixon were like, they put them in lingerie in certain episodes because yeah. um, because I think there's an episode of *Bosom Buddies* where where Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari are uh, they're like in their underwear as the women, and Donna Dixon is in her underwear. It's a TV show, right? Yeah, guys, yeah, it's a sitcom, and I feel like like there was a whole gag about that. Where Tom Hanks couldn't take his eyes off her or something. How many seasons was Bosom Buddies? I don't know. I feel like it was at least two. Yeah. Right? One or two. Uh, First season's gold, though. And then if you guys have never seen that little parody where Paul Rudd and, um, oh, gosh, the guy from uh, Parks and Rec from uh, Severance. What's his name? Oh, yeah. Scott. Yeah, Adam Adam Scott. Scott. They did a a parody intro to Bosom Buddies. I think you can watch it on YouTube. It's really funny. Uh, Bosom Buddies was uh, two seasons. It looks like. Uh, oh, that's yep. right. Okay, yep, cool. Two seasons. Yeah, cool. That's. I feel like so, that's not a show that uh, that's in reruns too often. To be honest. No, with probably because it just it's not politically correct. It's not woke enough. Come on. Okay. Go fuck. Anyways, uh, the women get on the elevator, and as they do, Milt gets on the elevator <laughs> yeah, with them. Milt. And he's, he's like twelve inches taller than they are, uh, at least two feet, or one or two feet taller, and they look right up at him. And he says, you girls are the hookers, right? 
And they say, uh, yes, of course. And then the elevator closes with them and they look on at Milt's gigantosaurus rex. Cut from there, there's an old dude, old Asian guy, uh, at his door with a big smile on his face as he welcomes in the hookers and the hookers, Debbie and her crew. And they're like, like arguing with Milt, but Milt like throws them in there into the room with all the Asian businessmen. And, and my note is hentai time. <laughs> <laughs> one of uh, Debbie's friends, Bobby, she's like, let's get out of here, girls. And then suddenly one of the businessmen, all the, by the way, all the Japanese businessmen are in their underwear. Yeah. yeah. And one one of the businessmen races over to the door and shuts it and locks the front door. The girls are in the room kind of freaking out, panicking. They're getting chased in hot pursuit by the Japanese men. Now you cut back to Cole holding his crossbow, still looking for Rick, but he can't find him. Rick, Rudy, and O'Neill, and now Tracy are approaching his hotel room. You can hear Cole from outside his hotel room yelling, shit, 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 shit. shit." (laughs) Rick's like, this is it. He gets to the door of the hotel room and he puts Tracy outside the door and he says, go get him to Tracy. And again, I'm like, why is Tracy just so okay with just being used? But okay, apparently she's, yeah, doesn't mind just having sex with random dudes. Yeah, guess not. Sure. Cole hears a knock at the door. He runs out. He hides the crossbow under the bed, answers the door. Tracy stands in the door. Cole's like dropping his jaw at her. She walks in with him. The door closes. You hear Tracy say, make love to me, please. And that's then they start going at it. Or do you I guess you think they, they do. I In Tracy's defense, I don't think they actually do. Well, you hear like the sound of Cole's shirt getting ripped open and the buttons flying and the sound of a pant zipper being undone, right? And then Rick says, T minus three, two, one. We have ignition. Rudy yells, kill him! And they burst in the room and they close the door and you can hear fighting going on. Yeah, so they, maybe she like started to seduce him and then they jumped him, right? That, that's, that was my takeaway, just to give Tracy some bit of, <laughs> yeah. you know, honor at the end of this. Because what they do is, the next thing you know, Cole is totally naked, wrapped up in bed sheets, and, and he's so sniveling, pleading, you know. Yeah, he's like, "You guys are never gonna get away with this. You can't do this, right?" Rick opens the window and pushes Cole out the window, and and he's tied. So he's wrapped up in bed sheets, and he's totally naked, but he's tied up to the bed, and the bed. Uh, starts getting pulled to the window. So as it, as he's like kind of starting to slip down the hotel room windows outside, uh, the bed is getting pulled closer and closer to the window. So he's going lower and lower and lower, right? And, and he's just he's pathetic the entire time. He's screaming. He's crying. It's it's hilarious and it's a very fitting comeuppance for him. And I mean, it's and it, this is just the beginning. There's going to be more. Yes. Yeah. And Rick's like, we're just going to keep you here. We're going to keep you here safe until after the party. And they're about to leave. And then uh, Rick says, now, don't get in any trouble. Rudy says, I hope you die, you bastard. I'm like, come on, dude. <laughs> Fucking Rudy. Piece and they shit. all go, bye bye. Bye. And they duck back in the room and they leave. And so Rick says to Tracy, don't you wish you were a guy so you could have fun like this? <laughs> Cole's scared out of his mind. Right. He's terrified. Uh, we see that Cole is being pulled 
again, slipping down the window, uh, each window of the hotel. And you cut to a man and a woman entering a hotel room, like making out and getting all ready to have sex, right? That man is Pat Proft. He is the screenwriter of the movie. Uh, he's there you a go. terrible haircut. Um, the woman like a bowl is. Cut. Yeah, it's kind of a bowl cut. The woman is Rebecca Pearl. Uh, she was in Streets of. Uh, she was in Savage Streets. She was. She played Cindy Clark in Savage Streets. Uh, but she was also in Not of This Earth with uh, with famously Tracy with Tracy Lords. Yeah, exactly. But oh, nice. she is she is a Pat alumni with Savage Streets. Right on, right on. And the man's like you know getting all sexy with his woman. He's like, "There's a wonderful moon out tonight," <laughs> and the blinds are closed in the hotel room. And he goes to open the blinds, and when he does, it reveals Cole's bare ass pressed up against the window. She screams, horrified. The man screams, horrified. Cole screams, horrified. They all <laughs> scream for Cole's asshole. It's it's really fucking funny because there's, like, extra screams. Like, the man screams when he looks at the butt, but then he looks at the girl, and she's screaming, so he screams. And then Cole screams. It's great because Cole is so pathetic here. It's so pathetic, but it's so funny. It's like so parody. It's so silly. The whole thing's so silly. Yeah. That's why you just got to laugh at it. None of this is offensive, I don't think. It's all just like, it's just silly, wacky shit. Like Police Academy. Yeah, it's a zany sex comedy. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey, everybody. I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. And now, back to the show. Cut back to the, the Japanese businessmen's room, and uh, the two, two Japanese men are t- talking to each other. It's subtitled. They're like, hey, Bob, this beats the shit out of sushi, doesn't it? <laughs> Oh, man, they're still hotly pursuing the, the women. Cut back to Cole's room. The bed's moving closer and closer to the window. Uh, we see the end of the bedpost, like, starting to get loose, right? Yeah. Cole's panicking. He's looking down. He sees Cole, He sees cars underneath him. It's getting looser and starting to fall. From there, we cut to Ryko and Stan showing up at the hotel with a U-Haul trailer. Stan says, how the hell are we supposed to get this donkey inside? And Ryan goes like, I don't know. But Stan's like, I thought this was your plan. Yeah, he, he says, I thought you had it all figured out. And Ryan goes like, maybe I did. I forgot. <laughs> Dude, again, I'm going to say it all the time. Michael Dudikoff, underutilized in this film. Like, 
it's almost as if he's not in this fucking movie. Now, Michael Doofy cough because he's acting Doofy. Yeah, sadly. And Stan's like, I'd love to get you in the operating table just once. <laughs> and so right after he says that, they turn and they see the uh, elk beer guys outside with their mascot, uh, like smoking cigarettes, right? Yeah, and their mascot is like a an elk or something, but it's two guys in one of those costumes, so you know where this is going to go. Yeah. Cut back to... The young couple from um, Pat Proft and his and his and his lovely lady, uh, they're now in the car at the hotel and they're they're getting ready to leave. And the man, he's like trying to reassure her. He's like, look, everything's going to be OK. You're fine now. <laughs> hey, how about some fresh air? How about some fresh they, air? <laughs> they uh, they open up the sunroof of his car and suddenly Cole falls down. His ass is hanging through the window or the, the the roof of the car, and they both go to kiss each other at the same time, and they kiss his ass. They literally kiss his ass, like the actor's ass. It's I mean, it's a bare ass right there. And then I just love because then they cut to the outside shot of Cole sitting, you know, in that in the sunroof. They scream. He screams, but he also kind of cries. You can just tell he's like traumatized. It's it's funny. It's sad. You, you kind of you sort of feel bad for Cole. He is completely traumatized from this. So shocked. And you cut to back to Rick's hotel, and Mr. Thompson's in the lobby, and sees Cole run in. Yeah. He's like, Cole, what happened? Cole's like. The bachelor party's upstairs. They made me get naked. They hung me from the window so high. I was so I was scary. Dying. I I'm fell so down. <laughs> yeah, him him explaining all of that to Mr. Thompson, it's so pathetic. And But, I mean, this is what you want from your villain. You want him because he's such a piece of shit. And this movie does a great job of setting Cole up as this giant fucking piece of shit right and this is this is what you want man this is the comeuppance that you want oh this want. is great this is great thompson uh gives him some cash he's like here you go take care of yourself i'll go take care of them he's like you look you you look awful son and uh thompson heads in the elevator to go up to confront rick and cole runs into a d- hotel duty free shop yeah why would there be a duty free shop at a hotel i don't know it's like odd yeah. Well, this is by the airport or something. Yeah. I guess. Go back to uh, the hotel room, and Rick is playing uh, like beach bounce, beach ball bouncing with the party goers. And suddenly the door opens, and Ryko's there with the donkey, and they, who's in an elk costume, right? And, uh, and Ryko goes, Hey guys, we, bought, we brought back a friend. And then O'Neill says, Gentlemen, ladies, for your viewing pleasure. Meet Max, the magical sexual mule. He lifts the head off the elk costume, revealing the the donkey, right? And Ryko and Stan zip the rest of the costume off. And apparently he's got a big dick because everyone's like, wow, you know, freaking out. They're like, and, and Rick goes, a Trojan donkey. And O'Neill says, and here's Mike's partner in more ways than one, a gal who doesn't believe happiness ends with primates. The very lovely <laughs> Miss Desiree. This beautiful like uh, belly dancer walks in and Rudy's freaking out. He takes a huge swig off his Jack Daniels bottle and Brad's smiling, watching on Desiree's dancing around, shaking her hips, doing like a belly dance routine. 
Suddenly, Mr. Thompson walks in. He's shocked by what he sees. And he's like, my God, what are you people doing? Rick sees Mr. Thompson. And he goes, oh, it's Mr. Laughs. <laughs> and the music stops. And Mr. Thompson, like, walks up to Rick. And, like, he gets all pissed off. And he's like, Rick. And Rick goes, it's Mr. Laughs. And uh, he's like, Rick, I knew you were vile, disgusting, degenerate. But bestiality goes way beyond my wildest dreams. Rick says, well, I like to stretch myself. <laughs> he says, you're through, mister. When Debbie hears about this, she'll never see you again. He turns, starts to walk away. But O'Neill walks over to Thompson. And he goes, you're absolutely right, Mr. Thompson. O'Neill says this. You should go give Debbie a call right now. There's a phone in the back bedroom. Mr. Thompson starts to walk off to the back bedroom. Rick's like shocked. He's like, thanks, pal. If Debbie finds out about this, I'm dead and she'll never speak to me again. O'Neill says, relax. I have everything under control. Meanwhile, like O'Neill has these sweet leg warmers on his arms. Yeah, like, yeah I noticed that. It's a cool look. <laughs> and, that, and that sweet headband on. O'Neill turns to the party and says, ladies, hired help, follow me. And he walks off in the back room with all the hookers to where Mr. Thompson is. Yeah. Rick goes back onto the stage where the band is, and he's like, sorry about the interruption, folks. We now return you to the Arts and Donkey Show. And then suddenly Desiree is going back to her dance. Gary's, like, looking kind of happy again. He's not freaked out that he's being, you know, that he had his moment with uh, Tim. His <laughs> and De- Desiree's starting to take off her belly dancing outfit. She puts her bra on Rudy. And Rudy's losing his fucking shit here. Yeah, when, doesn't this, he smashes the bottle on yeah, his this, head? Yeah, he fucking smashes the bottle on his head. Rudy, it's just like, fucking shit, man. Have you never seen a naked woman before? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So Desiree's doing her whole dance, and everyone's freaking out. Clearly, Rudy's freaking out the most. And you cut to the donkey, <laughs> who is now distracted by the table that Brad had laid out with the cocaine and pills. Just so many pills. Just so many random pills. And the donkey's just consuming it. But I do love the donkey snorting the cocaine. I don't know how they got him to do it. It's fucking great, though, because that donkey snorts that cocaine. It's probably sugar. It's yeah, probably sugar. yeah, guaranteed. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, does the, he snorts the cocaine. He eats the pills. Desiree's dance. Desiree's dancing like crazy. And then you cut to the donkey freaking out. <laughs> yeah, it's freaking Jumping out. around, freaking out. Suddenly, it just collapses on the ground. And Stan runs over to check his heart. He's like, you know, says, I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. And then suddenly, he checks it, and it's clearly dead. So they pull the dead donkey out of the hotel room. <laughs> just, yeah, they, they like no problem whatsoever. And so would you say, is this the Animal House reference? Is is all like, is this an Animal House reference here with the donkey for the, the horse in Animal House? Yeah, I think so. I well, think so. Rudy is no fucking Bluto. That's for sure. He's not. He the, he so badly wants to be. Yes. He's not. Yes. He's just not. He's not that likable. No, he's not. Barry Diamond is not that likable. <laughs> so cut to the hotel lobby and the manager's on a phone talking to someone saying, of course, I, I won't let out. You know, I apologize about the noise. I'm sorry you woke up. I'll take care of everything right away. He looks at his bellhop and he's like, I've had enough of this. And he goes to the elevator. Elevator door opens and there's a dead donkey in the elevator. And he, he screams, screams. <laughs> like a li- like little girl. Yeah, it's good. I like that. I like that a lot. Cut back to the Japanese business room. There's a standoff between the horny guys and the not horny girls. 
And then Debbie's like, hey, guys, let's give them what they want. And Phoebe's like, what? And Debbie opens the bedroom door that's closer to her, and she motions the Japanese men to file in. They walk in, and she's like, okay, let's go, everybody inside. They go inside, and right after she does that, she slams the door shut. And she's holding onto the door. And Debbie says, let's go. And Eileen says, look, girls, I'll stay behind with her cigarette. I'll, I'll stay st- behind I'll stay and stay hold behind them off. And catch that dick. <laughs> and the rest of you break for it. And Debbie goes, Eileen, are you crazy? Debbie, uh, Eileen says, I know what I'm doing. Go. And so the rest of the girls all take off. Suddenly, Eileen smiles. She opens the door to the bedroom. And she says, gentlemen, the gods have answered your prayers. Banzai! Banzai! She jumps on the bed to be devoured by a bunch of Japanese businessmen. Yup. Gang bang. <laughs> Bukaki. Bukaki. From there, Debbie and her friends are running into an elevator. Mrs. Thompson goes, I hope Eileen's all right. And Debbie's like, I hope those guys are all right. Yeah, Debbie knows what's up. The elevator door opens, and the dead donkey's in the elevator there for them, and they freak out. But then suddenly, Debbie realizes that they're on the same floor. Uh, so they run down the hall to a stairway, and on the way down to the stairway, uh, Debbie hears sounds coming from room 1002. Yep. She, the rest of the women walk off. She run, heads into the room angrily. She's surprised to see everyone you know, getting crazy, going nuts. Uh, Gary spots Debbie first. He's with Stan, and he taps Stan on the shoulder, who's making out with a hooker. <laughs> he finally looks in their direction. Stan and Gary hug each other. Because, well, Stan's like, holy shit. Because, you know, he she would recognize him. So he, like, hugs Gary to sort of block himself. It's, it's funny. I actually like it, it. And if you look at the scene carefully, he's grabbing Gary's butt cheek so hard. <laughs> yes. Like, like he's yes. digging in there. Yes. Probably got some taint action. <laughs> and, uh... And so they approach Rick and, and Stan's like, guess who's here? And another surprise guest. And Rick's like, who? And he goes, does the, does the name Debbie mean anything to you? And Rick's like, my Debbie? And he turns and Rick he turns Rick's head so he can see her. And Gary says, what's with her costume? And Rick says, I don't know. But go up to her and make it like you don't know who she is and send her into another bedroom. And Gary's like, you got it. Now, why does Rick think that this would be a good idea truly because he's because he's a guy who after the second tennis ball that he's hit over the fence he does it again yeah and again yeah. And again because he thinks he's funny yeah but he's not funny yeah come on you see your fiance there she's gonna be pissed yeah right yeah so gary approaches debbie and he's like he says i know you're new here i don't think the groom's had you yet has he and Debbie's like kind of pissed, but she's like goes, um, no, not it, not yet. Where is he? Gary sends Debbie into a bedroom. Rick opens the door to the bathroom that like that's joined to the bedroom, kind of in a sexy way. And there's like sexy sax music playing. He slams the door shut, and he's like, hey, it's dark in here. And Debbie's like talking with kind of a southern accent. Debbie's like, don't turn the lights on. I'll lead you around. And Rick's like, oh, wow, a seeing eye hooker. A seeing eye hooker. <laughs> this is nice service. He just, like, jumps in the sack with her and he goes, yeehaw, right? And he starts acting all goofy and she's getting all pissed. And then the lights the lights turn on 
And he goes, Debbie, you're a hooker? I can't believe it. I like goes, that. She, and she's pissed at him. And she's like, I can't trust you. And he's like, come on. I knew it was you. And she goes, you're lying. And Rick's like, come on. It was a joke. And so as he's like trying to plead with her, she puts on a shirt and runs out of the room. And Rick charges after her. Again, why would he think this is a good idea? I mean, no, she's, it's not a good idea she's reacting exactly how you think she would. She's she's now in the party. He's with her in the party. And she's like, let go of me. He's like, Debbie, I'm telling you, I didn't do anything. Hardly. She's like, the marriage is off. Now you can screw around with your friends and the rest of your life. He's like, I don't want that. I want to be with you. And Debbie's like, I want to be with someone who understands the meaning of the word commitment. He's like, I am committed. I love you. She's like, I don't believe you. He's like, you don't believe me? Fine. And he gets up on this like banister pole and he yells out to everybody. He's like, hey, everybody, shut up. You know, he's like, can I have your attention? Have I had sex with anybody in this room tonight? And everybody goes, no, no. And he goes, are you sure? And they all go, yes. And he's like, all right, go back to partying. And he drops down to Debbie. He's like, see, these are just not ordinary party crowd people. These are professionals. I didn't want any of them. You, you're who I want. You understand? And she's like, yeah. I'm sorry. I I love how she's like I'm sorry. Like I'm sorry. Written by a man. Now, did you notice the whole time they're talking, uh, there's people like dancing around them and everything. But to the right of them, there's a guy without a shirt on, but he has a bra on, and his yes. back is to you the whole time. Yeah. So it, it's such a weird. I'm. Who knows what the fuck was going on? Right. In the scene, yeah. <laughs> and uh. And 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 but but this this. Like you said, totally written by a man because he says, what do you want to do about it? And she goes, let's get naked. And he goes, you're on. Like, of course. Yeah, of course. Written right? by a dude. Yep. She takes him by the hand and they go into the bedroom. But before they enter the bedroom, Rick yells out, no, not, not that bedroom. They open up the door and they find Debbie's dad in a leather S&M outfit strapped to a bed with a gag in his mouth. O'Neill's taking photos of Mr. Thompson while hookers are kind of like draped around him and he's screaming angrily. I mean, what is Debbie supposed to do with this? You know what she should do with it? Like, oh my God, you guys are appalling. That's not what happens because again, written by a dude, it's more like, oh, well, these are zany antics by my future husband. Yeah, this to me is like, we got to wrap up the movie and we got to make we just got to make it nice and neat. Yeah. And it's 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 beyond wacky. It's more like obliviously wacky. Mm-hmm. Right. Because she's like, Daddy, what are you doing here? Not like, oh, my God, you tied up my dad. Yeah. And he's like, you know, he's mumbling. He's trying to say something. Because He's got like a Rick, ball gag in or whatever, you know. Yeah. And Rick's like, oh, he's having a wonderful time. It might change his name to Spike. <laughs> From there, you cut to the hotel manager with like police walking down the hallway of uh, room 1002. The manager says, this is the manager. He's pounding on the door. I like how he's like, all right, boys, kick the door in. And then yeah. right before they're about to, he's like, oh, oh, wait a minute. I have the key. <laughs> I was yes. like, ah, <laughs> that's funny. So he opens up the key. He opens up the door. Manager piles in with the police. He's all, he, he yells out, you're all under arrest, right? Rick yells, whoa, cops. And they leave with Debbie. He leaves with Debbie. And everyone else just splits. Everyone yeah. charges out of the room, except for Mr. Thompson, who's still tied up in bondage. Yeah. And he's gagged and he's mumbling shit. Yeah, no, he's going to jail. Yeah, he's going to jail. Everyone splits as fast as they can, leaving the manager by himself. Suddenly, 
The manager's by himself looking at the carnage in this hotel room. <laughs> the, the piano breaks and falls to the ground, and he just starts crying. It's destroyed, man. That room is destroyed. From there, the police are talking to people in the lobby, like arresting people. You see Cole walking out and seeing all the people exiting the hotel. He's wearing like a pajama tuxedo outfit. I guess it's the only <laughs> yeah. thing he could get. At the right? duty-free shop. At the duty-free shop. You see he Michael Dudikoff Rick- shirtless, fucking smoke yep. show, underutilized. <laughs> Very underutilized. But his chest was not. Fucking gorgeous. Uh, Rick and Debbie and his crew are trying to get out of the hotel room. Uh, Debbie sees her mom. Uh, Rick yells back to like get out of the hotel. The the Biltmore is chaos at this point. It's just total chaos, total chaos. Tina spots Stan, just unloads on Stan. Dude, There's, this is this is my favorite is fucking funny. part. So Stan's getting like handcuffed, right? And Tina's like, "You said no hookers." And she fucking like destroys the two cops like with him and fucking just starts punching his stomach. "You said no hookers." I loved Tina in this scene because she destroyed two cops to destroy her husband. Yeah. She's like, she throws a drop kick at one point (laughs) and then she's cocking and Stan in the face and the stomach. She's beating the shit out of him. Shit out of him. Yep. And then suddenly, and through all the melee is all the party goers are, are moving around. Rick uh, and Debbie kind of get separated for a moment. And that's when Cole makes his move. Uh, he, they're they're now outside. Rick's asking where Debbie is, and then Debbie gets nabbed by Cole. I mean, he's unhinged at this point. Yep, he throws Debbie over his shoulder and runs off. He uh, throws a there's a there's like a city worker truck outside the hotel, like a pickup truck that has a cone guy on the back who who like drops cones as they drive. And this visual gag is one of my favorites in the entire this movie. This is funny. This, Yeah, it's very funny. It's very funny. So so Cole throws Debbie in the truck and takes off. Rick sees what happens. He, he yells out, he's kidnapped her. Everyone into the bus. And they all get on the yellow bus. As uh, as Cole takes off down the street, he's now like on the freeway. And, and the, city worker, go ahead. The city worker's still on the back, just dropping cones. I mean, it's unrealistic at this point, but that's the humor. And as Cole is like driving, you know, 60, 70 miles an hour, this guy is just still doing his job. And low key, it's one of my favorite like comedic moments of this entire movie. Yeah, our dude with the cones, he's like, you know, He's dropping the cones. He looks exhausted. (laughs) It's really fucking funny. And uh, Rick's in pursuit, knocking over the cones, which is pretty funny, actually. So he's like allegedly driving over every cone as he as he goes past. Cole turns like sharply into a shopping center, which has a giant movie theater there. A mega giant movie theater. Megaplex. Do you see one of those movies was our boy David Iron's favorite movie, fucking House of Wax was being shown uh there. I was like, ah, fucking House of Wax. So I took a screenshot because they pull up to the Man 36 theater. The Man 36. (laughs) This again, this is like parody stuff, right? Yeah, it's parody. Um because this movie teeters. It's like it's parody, but and then it's also kind of like realistic too. Mm -hmm. It's tricky. It's a tricky kind of combination. Uh, yeah, they're playing House of Wax, Dial M for Murder, which was, I think all these are in three, originally in 3D. 
and then some of them are, I don't think, legit, but coming at you. Cyborg with an S-Y, Cyborg. The Bug, uh, Biloxi Bloodbath, Chainsaw Child, Hell House, Battle for Berkeley, Bat Beast, Xenophobia, Pedestrian Bondage, Glendale Girls Go Berserk, Zulu, uh, Watts Wilderness, Richard III, Death Cult Bar Mitzvah. Death Cult Bar Mitzvah. And then the other side of it I couldn't make out. I don't care. The best one is Death Cult Bar Mitzvah. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) So, yeah, they, they drive down. Cole ditches the truck and takes Debbie into the movie theater. This is really fucking funny because they run in the movie theater and the ticket taker, they run past him. He's like, hey, where's your tickets? <laughs> he just goes, hey. They run in. They, they're they running into a movie theater eventually. Uh, Rick and the gang, this is really funny too, stop in, at the theater. They pour out of the bus. Rick runs to, he's leading the pack into the theater, goes to push the door in. Oh, you're right. You're right. He goes to push the door in. But it's a pullback. It's... And, and it's a great comedy moment because it's in the background. I did not even notice it the first time. It's like off in the distance. And yeah, he yeah, it's it's good. It's good Tom Hanks comedy. What I was queuing in on was there's a lot of people in the group that we've never even seen before that are kind of just party goers that kind of get wrapped up in this thing and they kind of go help and everything. But yeah, you're right. The Rick pulling or pushing, you know, it that's funny. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, he goes to push the door, but he slams into it. Yeah. It's just hilarious. And then he pulls it out, and they all come in. Same ticket taker who uh, who Debbie and, and Cole ran past earlier stops them for the tickets. Rudy picks him up and throws him because <laughs> yes. he's a dick. Jesus. Because he's a dick. Anyways, uh, cut to Cole and Debbie running into a movie theater playing a science fiction movie. I think the one they go into is xenophobia. Yeah. And then, um, like, at one point, Rudy, uh, they, the group splits up, uh, looking in the different theaters to find Cole and Debbie. Because Rudy there are 36 up, of them. Because there's 36, which is funny. They look at this map <laughs> yeah, of all the, the screens, and they're like, oh, my God. It's really map, funny. Again, The map is hilarious. Shit. The map is it, very, very funny. Yeah, this is, like, airplane-type humor, yeah, you know, yeah. which is so, so funny. Uh, Rudy runs to a one one movie theater and it's like a janitor's closet and yeah. it's like three people in a movie in, in this room watching a movie which looks like a like a it's not a porno but it's like a guy's working out or something yeah it's funny people in leotards rick runs in the same movie theater that cole and debbie are in debbie yells out for rick <laughs> and of course cole's like shit yeah rick runs after cole and debbie and then starts fighting cole in front of the movie theater in front of the movie screen and it's great because it's this cheesy sci-fi movie that doesn't exist. They they filmed it for this. But Cole and Rick fight the exact same way the people behind them are fighting. So this took choreography, this, this took, you know, timing and everything, but it really really pays off well. Yeah, so they're fighting in sync with what's happening in the movie, and everyone else is wearing 3D glasses, not realizing that this is really happening. They think it's on the screen. That therein lies the joke. Yep, and the man, uh, one man says to his girlfriend, he's like, gee, what a realistic effect. And, uh, and another one says, best 3D I've ever seen. 
And then his date next to him goes, meh, I've seen better. <laughs> right when she says that, fucking, like, I think, I don't know, Rick or Cole throws a punch. I think it's Cole. Uh, the other person dodges it, and she gets punched right in the face. She gets ra- I, ra- I laughed way too hard at that. Well, I laughed right before she that happens because after she says that, the, her date next to her, like, looks so annoyed with her. Like, what's wrong with you? He does look crestfallen when, when, when she's like, eh, I've seen better. And he's like, fuck you, bitch. That's when Cole goes to swing at Rick, misses Rick, and hits her right in the face, causing her to go, whoa. That was funny, dude. Again, it's parody airplane shit. These last five minutes are full on airplane. Yeah, zany parody at this point. Finally, Rick is beating the shit out of Cole, knocks him on his ass, knocks him out. Debbie and Rick hug and kiss. Outside the movie theater, Brad is freaking out, saying he just wants to die. Like, what's the sense of living? He said that earlier. Yeah. What? And then, uh, and he's like, I'm just going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to end it all, basically. Gets in the driver's seat of the bus and starts driving the bus as fast as he can through the parking lot and heads straight toward the movie theater. Drives the bus into the movie theater right behind the screen that is showing the science fiction xenophobia movie with where Rick and Debbie and Cole are. It bursts through the screen ripping the screen out, drives right through it. Uh, everybody watching the movie freaks out and starts applauding. Yeah. The the front windshield of the bus is shattered, and Brad, like, pokes his head through and starts waving at everybody, looking totally stoned and is excited, and the scene fades to black. Yeah. From there, we cut to the least dramatic moment of the movie. It's the wedding day. The, the denouement. The denouement, and and Debbie and Rick are getting married. The the priest is saying the final vows. Uh, Rick, Debbie's parents are there. They're looking pissed, but Debbie is smiling at Rick, and Rick's side is, like, filled with degenerates. There's a dude smoking a cigar. Everyone looks, like, kind of scummy. The, 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 his groomsmen are obviously all the dudes that were at his bachelor party, his buddies, and... The priest is says, you know, uh, this is interesting because the priest is asking Rick, you know, if she takes if he takes Debbie to be his lawfully wedded wife. She, he says, I do. They don't you don't hear Debbie get those same treatment. It's all about Rick. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why would she? <laughs> yes. And then he says, you may kiss the bride. And then Rick stops. And he says, wait, I, I'm sorry. I need to do something special here. Hold on. And he runs off and he leaves Debbie at the altar. Mr. Thompson like looks disgusted. Rick returns with his mixing spoons. Go fuck yourself, Rick. Runs after Debbie as she runs away, giggling. Ha 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 ha. He goes, well, now that we're married, this is perfectly legal. <laughs> he runs after her. And Debbie says to Rick, oh, stop it. Get the thing away from me. And she runs on the bus. Once again on the bus, he says, come here, Mrs. Gasco. And he gives... And she gives Rick a big old kiss. And then it's supposed to be like a surprise that that uh, Brad is the driver now, I guess. Yes, because, yeah, because Rick says, step on a driver. We can't miss our plane. And the camera cuts to Brad driving the bus saying, right. Let's out like a maniacal laughter, yeah, you like, know. Yeah. yeah, Brad drives off maniacally as they pull down the drive driveway. And the banner on the back of the bus is says, just having sex. Just having sex. I wrote that down too. <laughs> and then Rick's uh, groomsmen, his bachelor men, 
I run up behind the bus, throwing shit at the bus, taking and O'Neill's taking pictures, and they call out. Uh, yeah, they're like yelling out, saying, you know, call us after the grandchildren. And then Rudy's like, do it one time for Rudy. Fuck you, Rudy. Yeah. Fucking stupid shit. And then suddenly the 80s rock music hits in. The song's called like Farewell to the Golden Age. And the credits roll as you see the bus driving down the highway. It looks like Highway 1. Yeah, it looks like PCH, yeah. Into the sunset and the movie credits roll and that is the end of bachelor party man aaron you did a great job two for two hard to get to hawaii bachelor party man this movie was fun dude it really was as much as i hate barry diamond uh rudy they do a good job of not having him in the movie that much uh if anything maybe i would want to see more of michael dudikoff but ultimately this movie hundred percent lived up to my expectations lived up to like my remembrance of it and i mean that in a sleazy way too this movie was fun from beginning to end and it's the right amount of sleaze uh but at the same time it's the right amount of sweetness because i think rick and tawny katane or debbie's you know debbie and everything i I like their characters i like them together and i thought tawny katane was fantastic but if anything this reminds me of how awesome awesome young Tom Hanks is. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron, thank you for uh, choosing this movie because I hadn't seen it in forever. So it was nice to trip down memory lane once again and revisit something that I didn't forget about, but forgot about so many funny moments. Um, This movie is parody. I think uh, airplane version of a bachelor party is, is a perfect example of what this movie is. And you know, we love our airplane movie. Uh, that that kind of genre, the naked gun type stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. a little more on the on the um, realistic side versus yeah. the parody side, but it does have enough parody moments where you're like, oh, this is clearly just a wacky comedy, like a Police Academy. Yeah. In case in point, they the guys wrote Police Academy and enough nudity to make it sleazy. Yeah. So Aaron checked all the boxes off. It's so nice. Uh, you Patreon contributors clearly have an eye for the content that we, you know, put on the show. This was not a movie we were allowed to watch as kids. No, no. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> but yet I did see parts of it as kids. I've definitely was seen it, uh, scenes that I probably should not have seen when I was a kid, especially the scene with Nick the Dick. Um, but it's so good. So much fun. And, and it yeah, holds up. I, I think it holds up pretty well in 2022. Maybe the only, literally the only minor change because we didn't at the end with like Gary kind of getting cuffed with with uh, you know the the cross dresser. If anything, I think it would have been more interesting if Gary was into it. You know what I mean? And was like, oh, I love her. You know? Um, oh yeah, I left that part out too. Cause, it's uh, okay. It, in all the melee, yeah, it's, all it's, the chaos. Gary got arrested. Uh, got arrested with uh, Tim, and then he freaked out. You yeah, because he's a homophobe. But but uh, yeah, other than <laughs> no, he's other not. than he's that, not. other than that, I think it actually holds up really really well. Um, I think it's very watchable, dude. This movie is very watchable. It's a lot of fun. Uh, if you have stars uh, through Amazon Prime, you can watch it uh, on there. The Blu-ray is out of print, like Zach mentioned. You can find it on eBay. Kind of expensive, but if you have stars, I highly recommend watching this. Yeah, yeah, it's worth watching it if you've never seen it. Uh, and if you haven't seen it in a while, you should revisit it. And Still if you see it watching. often, watch it again. You, why but not? <laughs> thank you, Aaron, for 
for dropping this bomb on us. Uh, this was a great pick. It was a really great pick. Kind of surprising. I did not expect to enjoy it as much as I did, and the breakdown was a lot of fun, too. That, you echo my sentiments. I was not expecting to love this movie as much as I did. So, yeah. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, thank you to all of our Patreon members who support the show. We really, really appreciate every single one of you all. Uh, like, like Zach mentioned, if you want us to fully break down and review a movie of your choice, then sign up for our highest Patreon uh, tier. And this is what you get Uh, right now. We're at, we're pushing four hours raw. I'm guessing I'll probably trim this down to about three hours and 40 minutes, but you get a full episode when, when you, you know, suggest a movie for us to review. It is a full episode. We do not do it half-assed. You can ask Crystal. You can ask uh, Aaron. And soon enough, our next movie that we're going to be breaking down and reviewing will be another Patreon pick. So that's what we're doing all of September. I'm going to break it down. It's going to be Robert Ortiz's uh, movie. And uh, I'm just going to throw it out now because he's already picked it. It's Suburbia. So it's a movie I've never seen before, and I'm excited to uh, dive into that one. I believe, I don't know off the top of my head, I believe it's 1984, 83, somewhere around yeah. there. Actually, Penelope right Spears. around this. Yeah, yeah. Penelope Spears, I think, directed it. Yep. So uh, Looking forward to breaking that, breaking that one down with you. Yeah, Aaron, I hope I did this movie justice for you as far as breaking it down. Um, Corey, I was... Before we went online, I was printing out the pages because uh, I type it on my phone, actually, and then I t- uh, printed it out so I could read it a little bit better. 53 pages of notes. 53 pages of notes. Guys and gals, Zach and I were just talking for like 10 minutes as his fucking printer was just vomiting out <laughs> pages. It was hilarious. I was like, so are we going to start? What's happening 53. <laughs> I think uh... I... I think I wrote that many notes for the Warriors, but, uh, yeah. but yeah. So I hope you enjoyed this. I hope everybody enjoyed this. Um, you know what else y'all will enjoy? Cartwright. Oh, buddy. What's going on on Cartwright? You teed me up, man. I appreciate that. I teed you up, baby. (laughs) Yeah, Adam and I are barreling to the end of Seinfeld on Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are about halfway through season nine as of right now, but. We're also covering Curb Your Enthusiasm on uh, the Patreon. So there's always good shit going on on everybody's Patreon page. What's happening uh, this month on the $2 late fee Patreon page? This month is fun. Uh, we had a busy August with a bunch of episodes, com- a couple surprise type things on there. But uh, we go back to our typical two episodes a month uh, format. And we are covering, we're doing a tribute to James Caan with the Michael Mann 1981 film Thief. Based on Zach's recommendation, well, I've seen Thief before, but because knowing what he was going to be working on and what was coming on $2 Lafey this month, I ordered the Criterion Blu-ray of Thief so that I could follow along with $2 Lafey this month. Awesome. You won't be disappointed. We had a really, really good discussion about that one. And we focused uh, the music end of it on $2 Late Fee because, as you know, on our on $2 Late Fee, we cover the movie and a song for the movie and some pop culture moments from the year it came out. Uh, but the song we're focusing in on is the it's the track called The Confrontation. It's not by Tangerine Dream. I was going to say, it's not the Tangerine Dream one, is it? But it's actually Craig Saffin, uh, who's mostly known for the last Starfighter soundtrack, 
Remo Williams soundtrack, the Legend of Billy Jean soundtrack, because our upcoming interview later this month will be with Craig Saffin. He covers all those movies and more, including Warning Sign, which is a personal favorite of Aaron's as well. Uh, I'm sure she'll enjoy that. So, yeah, check out our Thief episode, followed by Craig Saffin on $2 Late Fee. Yeah, um, Warning Sign came up on a watch list like last year, I mean, it was like a while ago. Uh, it's I know Shout Factory put out a a copy of Warning Sign. It's been it's been in my queue for a bit to to watch. It, it knowing what it's about, it sounds like it's right up my alley. But uh, dude, I I I showed my nephew, my seven year old nephew, uh, Last Starfighter the other night, and uh, and talking about Greg Saffin, and and that movie holds up very Greg, well. Greg Saffin, yeah. What I say? You said Greg Saffin. What is it? Craig Saffin. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and and really, really quickly, Craig. Uh, warning sign. Director of photography, Dean Cundy. Yep. That's and you right. know why I bring up Dean Cundy? Because on Patreon we have an exclusive show called The Carpenter Factor. It's our auteur de force segment that we do once a month, where we cover. Every single movie from a filmmaker's filmography that he directed. Yeah. With an asterisk because we have our current episode that we're doing. We're covering John Carpenter's filmography. We started with his first movie, Dark Star. We're going to go all the way to the end. But we did cover Halloween 2, which he did not direct, but he wrote it. He had a big part of it obviously he produced uh, it, was, it and and even directed a couple a couple scenes re, like one or two scenes yeah yeah and and honestly it's one of my favorite discussions we've had so far uh on the carpenter movies i'm not gonna lie to you that discussion was fantastic and this month uh so that was last month's carpenter factor this month's carpenter factor is gonna have adam from the blast from our past to talk about the thing uh, our number one most downloaded review and the cool thing is adam brings a very very unique perspective to that film and the fact that he watched it for the first time uh, for for the Carpenter Factor, so we have a very fresh opinion, which is kind of odd in 2022. You know what I mean? Like in the world that we swim in, the waters we swim in, the thing has become a very big movie, a very mainstream movie for our people, even though it was a cult movie back in the 80s. So having a new perspective on the film is actually quite interesting. Uh, and it's a great episode. I'm very proud of that episode to come out later in, in this uh, in this month. But I echo, I echo your sentiments, Zach. Our Halloween 2 discussion was fantastic. I'm very, very proud of that discussion. So everybody, check out The Carpenter Factor. If you're a John Carpenter fan, uh, we're going to be going up through next year with, with John Carpenter movies. And then we're going to move on to... Another director could be Michael Mann, could be uh, Costarelli. Is that right? Uh, uh, yeah, Don Costarelli could be any one of those. So we're we're gonna we'll figure it out then. But we still have a solid month and a couple. Or I'm sorry, solid year and a few months to to go through Carpenter's movies. Yeah, we got we got a lot to a lot to do with him. So uh, if you are not a Patreon subscriber, please consider becoming one. If you're not able to become one, and we totally understand. Please consider uh, signing up and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and write a quick little review because let's be honest, guys, 
that's how we get our traction. That's how we yeah. get more people listening to our show. And the more people listen to our show, the bigger we get. And the bigger we get, the bigger our egos get. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, the bigger we get and the more we can do for you guys. You guys love us. We love you. Um, so, yeah, if you can't contribute in the Patreon way, and for those of you that already have, thank you. Uh, contribute in the five-star slash review way. Just write a little quick little thing. These guys are great. Yeah. Corey's sexy. Zach's got a funny lisp. I don't know. Whatever you want to say. Uh, <laughs> and and I'm going to echo. I'm going to echo the same thing for two dollar lefe. If if you can't support the Patreon, leave a five Thanks. star review. Leave it for any podcast. I don't care if it's a podcast that's not on our network. It's not a friend. I don't care. If you listen to podcasts, if you love podcasts, support any podcast you love on Patreon and give any podcast you love a five star review. Trust me. It's, it takes a lot of work to do this kind of stuff, and uh, it, it really goes a long way. Yeah, yeah. Any of the shows, obviously, the ones outside of the network, like $2 Late Fee and Manic Movie Monday Podcast and uh, uh, Ready to Retro, uh, those are great shows. But everybody in our BFOP network is fantastic. Uh, Corey, you want to list them off? Oh, you know it, baby. Action, action, talking back. The Blasphemer Pass, Throwback Trivia Takedown, Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast, Return, Revenge, Resurrection. Uh, people don't forget. And I think that's it. <laughs> if I forgot something, I'm, I apologize. Uh, oh, no. Comics Underground. There we go. I knew I was forgetting what I had in the back of my head. And, uh, yeah, thank thank you guys all for, for supporting the show. Uh, we appreciate all the love and support that you give us. And uh, we appreciate all the love and support that you give $2 Lafey as well. Again, Aaron, Thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter. Thank you so much for supporting us emotionally as well as financially. And thank you so much for picking Bachelor Party. Man, it was great to go down this uh, this path again. And as always, we'll catch you on the dark side. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human. Something always watching. Something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide if you were haunted for seven winters alone? Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone. A dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook.